Jiu-Jitsu? Jiu-Jitsu is no joke. It takes years to master. Martial arts are a vehicle for developing your human potential. And nothing in my life has ever put me in face with reality better than Jiu-Jitsu. Training in BJJ offers a powerful lens through which to examine some primary human concerns. Truth versus delusion, self-knowledge, ethics, and overcoming fear. There's more, there's more philosophy in our mats than actually uh, uh, philosophy in any Ivy League school. Welcome to philosophy. What up, everybody? And welcome to another episode of... Philosophy. How's it going, my bro? Chilling like a villain. Amazing. Last episode... I made a claim. I said that this could be the seminal moment when things change. And I think today we're going to get proved right. Our guest really does need no introduction to the jiu-jitsu community. So I'm going to hand over to Iki to do the honors. Please introduce our guest. Ladies and gentlemen, what's up, Shash Hinger? How are you doing? Hey! <laughs> hey! The crowd goes not... <laughs> I can hear them already. How's it going, my man? How are you? Good, man. Good. Really good. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much for, for coming on today. The My first pleasure. question we ask everyone that joins the podcast, how yeah. did you get into jujitsu? Oh, I, I know the story like the back of my hand. It's like <laughs> I told it so many times. Um, I was a wrestler in high school. And uh, actually, I'll even go back farther. I used to run cross country. That was my, I was a cross country runner and, um, and mountain biking. I was in the mountain biking, competitive mountain biking. And then uh, I was in high school and I, I remember the, the coaches, when we first went into high school, the coaches made us fill out a questionnaire. They were like, what, what uh, sports are you interested in? And I put wrestling down. But when that time came to go to wrestling, I didn't want to go, you know? I was like, no, I like track, I like cross country. I have a lot of friends on this team. I don't want to go learn to a new team. I don't know anybody. And he's, he really pushed me to do it. And uh, he forced me to do it. He said, you have to go do it for one week. Otherwise, uh, you can't run. And I was like, fine, I'll go do it. Well, I fell in love like first day, first class, first wrestling session. I fell in love. I was like, man, this is so much fun. Fuck this wrestling. <laughs> running stuff, you know? I never went back for running, bro. Nice, <laughs> I just nice. stayed on the wrestling. Yeah. And then uh, and I fell in love with wrestling. I really fell in love with it. And uh, it, it consumed my life for four years. And uh, even as a freshman, they had a vacancy on the, the varsity team. So they bumped you up to varsity. So I thought I was super cool. Even though I sucked, I didn't know any wrestling. And I got smashed the whole year. I lost every single match. 50 matches. Oof. Wow. Oh, and 50. Like, 50 matches lost. You're the opposite and, uh, of Mayweather. That's incredible. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. And uh, I was super discouraged, you know, but my, my coach at the time was really cool. He was a really nice guy, and he kept on encouraging me. He's like, look, of course you're not going to win. You're not supposed to win. You know, if you can win varsity without any experience, like, something's wrong. And, uh, and so I wrestled, and I wrestled, and my parents, like, towards the later half of my high school career, they were like, what are you going to do with your life? And I was like, I don't know. I just want to wrestle. Wow. That's all I want to do is wrestle. They're like, well, you probably can't make a good living doing that <laughs> unless you go to college, you know? Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I told them, I was like, no, I'm, I'll, I'll figure it out. I'll, figure, I'll find a way, you know? And as it turned out, high school ended, wrestling ended, and I ended up doing nothing because I ended up going to a university that didn't have a wrestling team. So um then i think i was like 20 years old 21 and i was out so i was in the middle of college and i was outside washing my car and my old wrestling buddy drove past my house hadn't seen the guy in like three years 
And we just made eye contact real quick, right as he passed by. And then he stopped, he backed up, we started talking. And he was like, hey, I'm gonna go check out this jujitsu place that just opened uh, in the, the town over. And uh, he's like, let's go try it out. And I was like, and of course, classic response from an ignorant fool. I made karate chop hands. <laughs> and I was like, oh, fucking jujitsu. I was like, I'm not into that. And he's like, no, it's cool. It's like UFC, man, like cage fighting. And I was like, oh, okay, cool. I was like, let's go. Nice, nice. <laughs> and that's how he got me to go. And uh, I went with him and we loved it. First class, we fell in love. I signed up. I paid for the full year right then up front. And, uh, and I was hooked. That was it. It was with Chris Brennan. Chris Brennan's uh, Next Generation Mixed Martial Arts. Yeah, that yeah. was the guy that gave me my first class. We're still friends, actually. He's in Texas, has an academy out there. Nice. What was that first class like for you? And and I guess, like, even thinking, you coming from a wrestling background, right? You're not going in completely new to it, but what was that first class experience like for you? I actually went to the store and I bought a pair of wrestling shoes and I brought them with me to the class. Nice. Wow. <laughs> I'm ready. I walked in with the wrestling shoes and Chris looked at them and he said, no. <laughs> those don't go on my mats you know that they mark up the mats and everything and he's like you put you'll get footlocked in two seconds you know <laughs> and uh the class was hard man i remember the warm-up was super hard like he made us all i'm sure you guys have done this i'm sure every jiu-jitsu academy has done this but we're, we're all in a big circle on our backs and we're doing some stretches but then everyone has to count out uh 20 crunches yeah and they go, yeah, around, the, yeah. And they go around the whole room yeah, yeah. <laughs> man he made us do that i swear to god because the academy was new and he had another academy somewhere else. So all those people came out to support. So there was probably 60 people on the mat, man. Wow. I swear to God, I did 1,200 crunches. And I hadn't done any crunches in years at that point, you know? So I was just wrecked. But I loved it, man. I was super happy. I was happy to have some exercise. I was happy to, like, be on a mat again and grappling. And uh, that was good, man. I was super stoked. And uh, I remember, I think we learned uh, just a, a basic triangle from our back that day. And I just thought it was so ninja, you know? I was yeah. like, because as a wrestler, being on your back is the worst, yeah. right? If you're on your back, you lost. You, you can't be on your back ever. It's like, it's considered a, like a submissive position, right? And uh, here I am like laying on my back as a wrestler, like throwing up this triangle choke with my legs and, and choking someone with my legs. And I thought, man, it's so ninja. And, and I was it. I'm assuming that it was in the gi, but I just want to check, was it a gi or a no. no gi? It was a no gi no. class. This is a strictly nogi guy. Yeah, wow. he doesn't train in the gi ever. He started with the Gracie Academy in um, in LA, like the first one, like the original one. He was there as a white belt, and him and Mark Lehman were actually roommates. Do you know Mark Lehman? No, you can look him up though. He had he's an old school guy. You haven't you don't hear much about him anymore. But he had he started Cobra Kai Jiu Jitsu. Oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, which everyone knows Cobra Kai now because of the Netflix show, right? Yeah. And the, of course Karate Kid. And um, so him, but Mark Lehman, he's an OG man. He used to like, he used to do these technique breakdowns for the UFC, like the first one. He was the first guy ever to do that. And uh, yeah, so they trained there as a white and blue belt, and they started under Ken Gabrielson who I just met last month at a seminar by chance. Ken Gabrielson is one of the Dirty Dozen. Nice. You know what the Dirty Dozen is? We don't. Like, you're, you're like yeah, schooling us on history. Yeah, you wouldn't know because the Dirty Dozen are the first 12 Americans to receive black belts. Whoa. From, from the Gracies. I'm going to throw and, this out there as a guess. I'm not sure if it's right. Is Laborio one of those? Master Laborio. Um, but he's Brazilian. Oh, yeah, he's mm. Brazilian. 
Yeah, it's, 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 yeah it's, it's not the first 12 to get black belts. It's the first 12 Americans. Uh, okay. So like the UK could have their own dirty dozen, you know, the first mm. 12, you know, British guys to get black belts. Um, and But Ken was actually the second, the second American ever to get a black belt from uh, the Gracie Academy. And you must have been a superstar getting a black belt like back in those days. Yeah. Oh, yeah. man, for yeah. sure. Yeah. I remember yeah. when I started jujitsu, if you were a purple belt, you were bad ass. <laughs> like you, were, you were lethal. You're a lethal motherfucker if you're a purple belt. And now it's like, look, now we're just like, oh, purple belt's cool. It's like you're halfway there. You know, good luck. Keep going. <laughs> I love it. I love it. So wait, like keeping like your your story, like the storyline. So it's like you started. So at this point, you're like 21. And you're a white yeah. belt. Yeah. And what happens next? Well, actually, I have a, uh, a stupid story. Um, <clears throat> so bef right before I started jujitsu, I started in July. In May, when I was, uh, my birthday is in late May. So I was turning 21 in May 2003. And uh, earlier that month, I got, um, <clears throat> I got arrested for fighting. Wow. It's never happened before, you know, never happened. I was always a pretty, pretty good kid, but I was like in a pretty dark place, you know, like, because after high school wrestling, I was a very good wrestler in high school. I finished, I was like top 10 in the state of California in nice. the year when I graduated high school, year 2000. It's a tough state too. It's a big state. There's a lot of people. And uh, <clears throat> when I lost wrestling, I became just like a lost soul. You know what I mean? I didn't know what I was doing. I was like, I was just partying, man. I would go to the desert and ride motorcycles and drink and party and just be a, be a piece of shit. Not that any of those things are pieces of shit, but I was just like not going down a good road. Right. Mm, yeah. And it was like three weeks before my 21st birthday. And I went, what's it? Is the drinking age for you guys also 21? Nah, 18 in, in the UK. Beer and liquor. Yes, sir. Oh, wow. It's crazy. Okay. Yeah. So we, well, well, 21 for us. Right. Yeah. And, uh, so I was 20 and, uh, anyways, I had, I got like, I was having a bad day, man. And I, I went to a party that night and I just drank way too much and I was just being obnoxious and, uh, ended up getting into a fight out in the street with a guy and, uh, it wasn't a bad fight. It, you know, it got broke up pretty quick by my friends, but you know, I was, uh, I got really pissed off and I started walking home and it's like in the middle of the night, it's like two in the morning. And the, the police ended up driving up on me and, and asking me, like, what are you doing out here? You know, and I was so drunk, they can't leave you there. So yeah. either someone has to come get you or you got to go with them. Right. But because I just got into a big fight with all my friends and, <laughs> and I caused a big scene, I was like, I'm not going back there. I can't call them and ask for help now. You know, it's, hmm. that'd be a shot to my ego. So I ended up getting arrested and uh, I had to spend the night in jail. The first and only time that I sat in the drunk tank for the night. You know, like this is kind of random, but it's like usually when something like that happens and you're drunk, you kind of become sober really quick. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I was sitting in that drunk tank with all the guys that were getting DUIs, you know, oh. luckily, luckily, you know, I had a hundred dollar fine for mm. like disorderly conduct. Yeah. But all these other guys are in there um, and they're just pissed drunk and they all have DUIs and their lives are fucked, you know, mm. DUIs are so expensive. And, uh, and I just had a, a, a moment and an awakening, you know, like I look, I took a moment to look at myself, like what, what am I doing? You know, yeah. like what the fuck am I doing with myself? This is pathetic. I'm like, I'm going down the wrong path, like real fast. And I knew I needed a big change, like a big change now. And it was just, you know, two months later that 
I started jujitsu. And like when that happened, like, I was like, this is the change. You know, this is what I needed. Something to focus on, something to like put my energy towards, something to get, take up all my, my free time. And it just took me away from all that shit that I was doing and gave me something to work on, you know? So I just went all in on jujitsu and like 100% gave my life to it. And, uh, you know, Chris was a great coach too. He was a, a cool guy. I really looked up to him. And uh, I trained there for probably just three or four months. But because I was such a good wrestler, I could take his blue belts down and I could mm, mount them. Yeah, I couldn't yeah. submit them, you know, but I could like definitely get on them in terms of position. And then he was like, hey, you know, you should fight on my fight team. And he, if you ever heard, you know, probably never heard his voice, but he has a really deep, scraggly voice. You know, it's, yeah. it's, it's kind of funny, actually. And uh, and he's, I was like, man, I was like, I don't know anything. I don't know how to strike at all. Like, I'm a terrible striker. And I was like, all I know how to do is wrestle. And he's like, that's all you have to do. <laughs> You're going to fight another guy who's O and O. He's like, just take him down and beat him up. That's so all you got to do. This is MMA. Yeah, MMA. It's a K in the cage. Yeah. yeah. He goes, you just got to take him down, stay on top, and beat him up. And I was like, fuck it, okay. And uh, and I got 300 bucks to go do this fight. <laughs> nice. <laughs> yeah, it was a pro fight. There was no amateur back then. It was a pro fight. And I think I spent more than $300 just getting my medical work done, like the, to get the license. Yeah, yeah. And, yeah, I went in there. I fought this kid. I got a, I think I got a rear naked choke in the first round. Yeah, first round. And uh, 300 bucks in my pocket. That's amazing. <laughs> that's incredible. Yeah, that's amazing. <laughs> like, it's like five months earlier. We were like, what am I doing with my life? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Crazy. I mean, I was fighting in a cage, you know. I, this was like 2003. And uh, yeah, so I thought I was super cool. I was a cage fighter. So now you're 21, <laughs> and you you kind of you kind of training jujitsu, but now you're really into MMA. I'm guessing. Yeah, so I fought, I fought MMA for for three years after that. Yeah, I did five fights. My record, I won my first four all submissions, and the last one was in Hawaii, and it was just a, a just a ugly slug, like just a battle of throwing hands, and he won the decision. Well, rightfully so. I think I think he did win. It was a close fight, though. Um, and are you not... are you still a white belt at this point? Uh, blue. After okay. my first fight, I got, I got my blue belt. Yeah, I got my blue belt in four months. Okay. Wow. Nice. That's good. Was going. Kind of... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was just sheer wrestling, and it was no gi. You know what I mean? Like yeah. I didn't have to learn spider guard. I didn't have to learn cross collar tricks. Mm. It was like just no gi academy, and uh, yeah, Chris. I think Chris didn't training in the gi after blue belt either he got his blue belt in the gi and then i think he took it off and stopped completely and even to this day he doesn't train in the gi he's just like a four fourth degree black belt no gi nice this is like a but he has a... gi classes at his academy he just doesn't do them okay yeah, yeah. this is like yeah. a bit of an odd tangent but like we were talking about it right before the podcast like because i was like i you know like josh did mma And one thing I wonder, it's like you probably have seen how much jiu-jitsu has changed in MMA. Like oh, sort, yeah. of, sort of like a, one thing, a, one thing, someone that impresses me a lot is like Ryan Hall, of course. But also oh. Toquinho, yeah. when he was like heavy in MMA, like he'd go for the single and then fall back into yeah, yeah, wrapping well. the leg and, and yeah. so on. It's like, a, yeah, do, what do you see like? changing in MMA and jiu-jitsu in the next few years? Like, um, I remember jiu-jitsu back then. It was like, if you played butterfly guard, that was like a very exotic mm. guard. You know what I mean? Like, 
it was like you're oh you're playing open guard holy shit you are crazy you know what i mean like closed guard was the shit right yeah, or half yeah. guard yeah. um but to to play like a butterfly guard an open guard like by choice was like crazy it was like oh my god you're you're a pretty advanced guy and um i don't remember i don't to be honest i don't even remember jiu-jitsu back then in mma um it was just uh it was like if you're on your back you have to get the close guard but even to this day i would do that though mm. in, in a mma fight i fight I think close. I like I like close guard, and I don't know if that's because I'm old, but yeah. I'm an old school, <laughs> old school guy. Like I feel like it, or maybe I just have a, a, a an appreciation for it now. Um, but if I think about MMA jujitsu back then, I don't even remember what it looked like. It was just like if you're on bottom, you're fucked. You need to get back to your feet. Mm-hmm. You're gonna lose. You know. Yeah. Um, I'm trying to think. All the all, it was all those really great wrestlers that were dominating back then. You know, like mm-hmm. uh, Randy Couture and Tito Ortiz. And, um, bro, you know what's crazy? Mark I remember is, yeah. I remember watching a super fight of Jeff Glover as a brown belt. Wow. Decent. Jeff, I think it was Jeff Coran. He fought Jeff Coran. And, uh, and I saw a super fight between – this is at Grappler's Quest. And uh, I saw a super fight between Frank Mir and uh, Big Country, too, which is crazy. And Mark Lehman, I saw him do a super fight with Huron Gracie. Wow. No, nice. Yeah, yeah. How did that end up? Uh, I, I, all I remember, I don't remember how, who won. I'm pretty sure Huron won uh, because he was attacking the heel hook like a savage, you know. And I remember Mark Lehman just spinning out, spinning out, spinning out like seven times, trying to spin out of this, out of this heel hook. And um, but back then, I grappled. Do you know Grappler's Quest? Have you ever heard of it? I mean, I've heard of it. I haven't looked into it too much at all. Yeah, I think they, ne- they never went to Europe, I think. They just stayed on the there – was, there was one tournament on the West Coast of the U.S. and one tournament on the East Coast. They were six months apart, and those were the only two tournaments every year that you could find. What, there was no other grappling tournaments. I was going to ask then, so what's like a modern-day equivalent of that? But if they were the only ones going on, then it, sign- it kind of sounds in the same realms as like an ADCC. Yeah, ADCC was going on, but uh, they did have ADCC in the U.S. in 2005, I mm. think. I think 2005. Um, and IBJ Jeff wasn't here yet. I think they came to the U.S. in 2007. Wow. Yeah, I, yeah, I think that was it, man. It was just Grappler's Quest. So, and, so you, you've you've had your your five fights in MMA. Yeah why why did you stop i guess what 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 prompted the the stop on that the actually our team fell apart yeah so chris ended up moving to texas to be closer to his wife's family um i think she put the pressure on him pretty hard to do that i don't know that he wanted to but that's ended up what happening and um and then these other two guys kind of didn't agree with how to take the team forward so they kind of split and they were kind of the two leaders you know yeah. of the team and uh so so one guy left and then the other guy went another direction opened up his own academy somewhere else with a friend and uh i ended up joining the peace corps because actually what happened is because i was in school at the same time i was doing my bachelor's degree mm-hmm. and i fell behind i fell way behind with my my progress so i wasn't going to graduate on time so when chris left and the other guy left. I said, fuck, I should just focus. I got to focus on school now. You know? So I actually stopped fighting. That's when I stopped. Were you studying biochemistry, I think? 
Uh, political science. No, political science. Political science. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hence the Peace Corps. Yeah. Well, yeah. Yeah. So, and then, um, yeah. So that's when I, and that's when I joined the Peace Corps that year. And then, um, so I stopped, basically I stopped training when I was a blue belt, like, like all the blue belts. <laughs> You're another statistic. Although you came back, you did all right when you came yeah. back. Um, yeah. What was the Peace Corps like? Oh, it's terrible. Terrible. <laughs> really? yeah. yeah, terrible. It's a terrible experience. No, it wasn't that the Peace Corps is bad. It's the country that I went to was really bad. Where did you go? Turkmenistan. Okay. It's, and I told the guy when I was doing the interview, I said, he said, where do you, would you like to go? And I said, I want to go somewhere crazy. So I want to have an experience, you know, that's why I joined the Peace Corps. I was like, I just want to have some crazy fucking experience that like no one else can have. And they're like, we got the place. <laughs> <laughs> Pulls out a dusty file that no yeah. one's touched. <laughs> yeah. I said, where? And because I studied political science, actually my focus was on the former Soviet Union. And Turkmenistan was a Soviet Republic. Mm. So, and it's the most Soviet-like country still in existence. So if you go there now, you basically get to see what's this, what was the Soviet Union like. Like, it's basically a small version of the Soviet Union. Wow. It's the same crazy dictator, the same crazy rules, the same central, like, authoritarian government. It was a crazy place, man. Like, and did you get the crazy stories you were hoping for? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. T- t- heaps, bro. Heaps. That's an Aussie term. Yeah. <laughs> Is that in the UK? Heaps? Yeah, but... kind of works. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a yeah, ton of stories, man. Ton. Even if you, if you type in Turkmenistan gas crater on your phone, on Google, just type it in Google search Turkmenistan yeah. gas crater, and you'll see the most ridiculous, amazing thing you've ever seen in your life. You won't even believe it's real. Hang on, we're getting that. We're getting that. And this is just like one of the things, one of the many mysteries of Turkmenistan, bro. So what am I looking at here? I can see a massive, massive crater that just looks to be on fire called the Gates of Hell. That's larger than a soccer field. What? (laughs) Larger than a soccer field, bro. It's massive. It's a massive crater in the ground and it's just on fire forever. Man, it just burns. It's eight hours from any civilization. It's in the middle of the desert, out in the middle of nowhere. You have to bribe someone to take you there. And do they they know what it is or like how it came about? Natural gas leaking out of the ground. Wow. Yeah, because Turkmenistan has a fuck ton of natural gas. Right. Like the fourth or fifth largest natural gas reserves in the world. So they could be filthy rich like Dubai. Yeah, here we go. The sixth largest natural gas reserves in the world. Yeah. That's yeah. Crazy. So it's just like literally leaking out of the ground and someone set it on fire. That's so crazy. That is pretty nuts. That is, that is mad. <laughs> but, you know, the problem is the government is so corrupt. It's, it, it's just like North Korea. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like the president is considered like a god. And if yeah. you say anything bad about him, you are done. Yeah. And, um, and they have this all this natural gas, but the, the government keeps it. They're just so corrupt, and the people are just like crazy dirt poor. That's mad. Like you're 21 at this point. Like, yeah, yeah. Did you? I'm I'm guessing not. Did you manage to do any grappling, any jujitsu whilst you're out there? Or was it mostly yeah. just? That's the funny thing is is the village that I got sent to is way out in the is way out in the middle of nowhere. Is it far so far from any cities? And actually, that village had some crazy wrestling history. What? Nice. <laughs> yeah, it's very strange. And they do, 
they do some kind of wrestling. Um, they call it Turkmen wrestling. I was trying to look for my belt. Uh, I can't really explain how they did it. Okay, but imagine it's like Sambo. They call it, they called it Turkmen Sambo. Okay. I and I don't even know if that's a real thing or if they just call it that, but you wear the kimono top and the shorts, just like in Sambo. You have your belt on and then you stand chest to chest with each other. Okay. I wrap my arm behind your back and I slide it under, I put my hand on your back and I slide it under the belt. And then I wrap my hand around and I grab the belt. So you're kind of, you have a really monster grip. Yeah. And the other guy does the same thing to you. Yeah. Right. You both do the right hand under the belt, wrap it around, grab the belt. And that's how you start. And then they just say, go. And whoever can throw the other guy down wins. Wow. That's one of the most macho things I've ever heard. Yeah. <laughs> you lock yourself chest to chest with another man. And then let's go. Yeah. Let's go. You guys are wrong. It's basically just who can get their hips down first, you know, and, and thrust. Did you have a and, uh, Well, they wanted me to, you know, and I thought about it. And I was like, I don't know shit about judo. And I never mm. trained in a kimono before, right? I had just done nogi and I just did MMA. And my wrestling style was not like body locks, you know, it was very much low singles. Like, and I kept telling them, I was like, look, I know how to wrestle, but it's like, I said, it's American wrestling. I can grab the legs. I like to grab the legs. And they're like, oh, it's fine. It's okay. You can do that. And I was like, man, I'm watching these dudes like, boom, drop each other. And they're just doing it in the dirt. Oh. There's no <laughs> With a burning no crater hat. next to it. They draw, yeah, they draw a line in the dirt and you just do it in the dirt. And the winner, uh, that was like a tournament. So the winner would get a chicken or a goat. Oh my god! Yeah. Look at you getting excited <laughs> about a chicken and a goat. <laughs> yeah, but like, man, that's a big deal out there. You yeah. know, like if you have chicken, you're gonna eat some good food. Definitely, that night. yeah, yeah. That's so crazy because I'm imagining like one of those guys going into like actually like if you grab him and you're like, okay, we're gonna teach you MMA now and you're gonna compete in Bellator or UFC. It's just like his level of. I have seen the worst. It's so much. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's so much extreme compared to most guys. When people are used to like the soft mats. Yeah, yeah. Where is the dirt? <laughs> yeah, right, right. And I really wanted to do it, man. But I just thought, like, first of all, the Turkmen guys are kind of big. They're because they, they're, they, they kind of look like Mongolian almost. Like, mm. it's like a Turk. Like. A, you know what i mean so if i as like if i get you guys good sorry uh, we, we're losing a little bit are you there bro yeah i'm good cool man cool. sorry we lost you from from you talking about these guys looking big a bit like mongolians yeah, they're, so they're big dudes. And I, I was just saying that I was like, I was, I'm really far from a hospital. Mm, yeah. You know, and it just seems like because your hand is stuck inside this belt, it seems like if you land wrong and you land on the shoulder, like I was like, man, I can just, I can see this breaking, you know? Yeah. yeah <laughs> I can yeah. see this breaking. I was like, I'm not anywhere near a hospital. I was like, it's, I, it would just be a bad decision, you know, a bad life decision. Yeah. yeah. <clears throat> Considering my circumstances where right. I was, because the, the medical field out there is disgustingly pathetic. Right. They reuse needles, doctors reuse needles on people. They do. They don't wash their hands before they give injections. And I know all this because I had a friend who worked in a clinic and they were mm -hmm. telling me all about it. 
And uh, I mean, I saw a little kid break his arm one time. He dislocated his elbow and they like stretched it out and they wrapped it up in newspaper and smeared eggs all over it. And wow. I'm pretty sure whenever you get a dislocation, you should have it like, like this, you know, in a, here in a sling on your, on your stomach, not locked out straight like this, you know? Yeah. Um, what were the so eggs for? I, I, mean, <laughs> <laughs> I, I Probably yeah. placebo. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. They just mixed some eggs up on it. Maybe it was to help make it like a cast or make it sticky. I have no idea, man. That's insane. So you, the point I just wasn't trying to get hurt out yeah. there, you know. Smart. So you saw a big hole with fire in it. You saw wrestlers, and then you went back to the states. And did you get back into jujitsu straight away? Straight away, yeah. Because when I was out there, man, I all I could think about was all the things that I loved that I don't have anymore. Yeah. You know, and, and, and jujitsu was the like, at the top, along yeah. with you know hot running water. Yeah. And, yeah. Uh, but I mean, I, yeah. As soon as I got home, I jumped right back into jujitsu, like full, full steam. And when you say you jump back in, at this point, was it like I'm? I just want to train jujitsu, or was it I want to make a living from jujitsu? Was there any thought process that went into like where this could take you? I I didn't even think about trying to become a black belt or trying to. Uh, I I had some friends that had an academy, and I just went back to join them and try to like help them run their academy and teach some classes. And but I was a blue belt, you know, but. I was a good blue belt. Like I, I had, pro I, sh I should have probably been a purple belt um, before I left, you know. But mm. Chris was, Chris was kind of holding me back. Um, so I was a good blue belt coming up on purple, and uh, yeah, I just wanted to train, man. I didn't, I didn't care. I just, all I wanted was to be in good shape because in Turkmenistan you can't exercise. It's like you just can't. There's nothing to do. There's, you can go lift some rocks, I guess. Maybe I used mm. to just do push-ups and bicep curls with a backpack. But I was disgustingly thin when I left that place. And, and they don't believe in exercise. Like, culturally, they're just like, what are you doing? Why are you mm. doing that? You're just burning calories for no reason. You know, like, that's, that's stupid. Like, even if I tell them I was going to go for a walk, they were like, why? Where are you going? What are you doing? And I was like, I just want to go walk. I was like, I need to get out of here. Go. If you're running, like, they think you did something wrong. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it's, um, It's reassuring to hear of uh, all the exercise you could have done. Bicep curls still made it into your routine. That's that's great to hear from my point of view. Definitely, I'm a yeah. They're, I'm a they're, fan as well. <laughs> they're like, if you're running, they think you you stole something, or there's a dog chasing you. Wow. <laughs> and that would happen too, man. You try to go jogging and you run past a house, and the dog will see you running, and boom, the dog is coming after you. I had a dog bite me one time. What? On my ass. Really? No. Did you did you go get some eggs? To, to sort this. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, it's, it's a stupid story because I was just running by this dog and he was sleeping <clears throat> and he just like he woke up and jumped up out of his sleep and literally lunged and bit me right on the ass and it was a street dog no I, I don't know maybe it was a street dog maybe it was by his house I don't know but if it the rule is if a dog bites you and it breaks your skin at all yeah, you have to go get a rabies shot yeah yeah yeah, yeah. have to Yeah. Because rabies is 100% uh, deadly, yeah. lethal. 100% kill rate. 100% kill rate. Yeah, especially if so, it's a random dog. And it's a horrible way to go as well. Mm. Yeah. So I thought, fuck. As soon as that happened, I thought, oh, my. And it, it just scratched me. You know, it was like just a little scratch, but it broke the skin. And I was like, fuck, I'm not, I'm not trying to die. So I had to go eight hours to the Capitol just mm. to go see the doctor to get rabies shots. But 
just because of that. Well, you're still here today. But I'm still here and I'm not rabid. So, that's <laughs> <it. laughs> so, so you're back, you're training. Yeah. What, what I'm basically, I'm trying to, and maybe it didn't happen like this. I want to know if there was a moment where you decided I'm going to put my all into this in terms of I want to be a world champion. Um, if there was that point that happened for you. Oh, you know, that, that just happened like in 2016. What? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, there, there's so much that happened between those two points, but I, I don't think I ever, I never thought of myself as, as wanting to be a world champion. Never. I never thought that, um, until it happened, you know? And then I was like, Oh fuck, wow, I did it. Um, when I was a purple belt, I got a, I had a friend who was teaching jujitsu in Arizona and he wanted to leave his job. So he called me and said, Hey, do you want to come? And I had just, I had just come home from the Turkmenistan. So I was probably home for six months maybe. And this is right when we had the big financial crisis. The economy was fucked. Mm. You know, there was no, uh, no jobs to be had. And I was working at, at a bank, you know, I'm just a miserable, miserable job at a bank wearing a fucking suit and like talking to these asshole people who think they're special because they have so much money and blah, blah, blah. And so when he gave me this opportunity to go teach jujitsu, I was like, fuck yeah. I would love to teach jiu-jitsu, man. And the program was very new, so all the students were white belts. I was purple, and I thought, I'm just a purple belt, you know? <clears throat> what can I teach them? But I was like, ah, oh, they, they don't know anything, so I can, you know, there's enough that, to teach them. And uh, so, yeah, I moved out there, and I ended up teaching jiu-jitsu for three years out there. And it was mostly nogi, because that's all I did was nogi. And it was an MMA gym, so it made sense just to do nogi. Mm-hmm. And at some point I decided to put on a gear and I think it was just one of the guys who, who trained with me, who had trained at a gi Academy previously, he kept talking about it. And I asked him, I was like, what's it like? He's like, Oh, I have an extra gi. I was like, I'll bring it in someday. We can just mess around, you know? And so he brought the gi in. And I think at this point I'd had a brown belt now. So Barrett Yoshida and, and one of his students who was my friend, they gave me my brown belt. And Barrett was like the the guy who was in charge of all the jujitsu programs for this gym because there was five of these gyms. There was a little chain, and um, so I was a brown belt now. And uh, the guy brought the gi in, and I put it on, and we just messed around. And I just thought it was so cool. Like it was just so interesting, you know. I was like, oh, I can grab this, I can grab this, I can grab this, I can grab this. I was like, and they, the options are endless. It just seems like no gi was just so like. Yeah. boring yeah. you know there was just like x amount of moves you could do and you can try to get creative with them but like man you put that gi on and all of a sudden it's like wow you can do all kinds of shit you know and I, so i would run my classes all week and then i would have gi fridays so every friday we were training the gi and i didn't know shit you know i didn't know shit about the mm-hmm. gi i was just like just put them put the gi on and come train and we'll do whatever we can do you know, because like you can cheat. That's what it was. It's like we can do no gi, but you can cheat by grabbing. Nice. Mm. <laughs> and uh, yeah, so we just mess around. We just have some fun in the gi. Because most academies back then, they only trained in the gi and they would do no gi on Fridays. Yeah, yeah. I, and I tried to do the inverse. And then, um, and then I ended up, I didn't want to stay there. You know, Arizona is not, not, it was in Tucson, Arizona. And uh, I just didn't really like living there. It was really hot. Really, yeah. really hot super dusty, a lot of, a lot of drugs and gangs and violence. So I ended up going to graduate school after that. And I moved to Indiana, which is like in the middle of the country. 
uh, and I, I was doing a master's degree in finance. And at this point, I had no team, no coaches, no, me and Barrett had said goodbye and we're all good. Nothing bad happened. You know, we just, I left, he left that gym. I left the gym I was at. We went different ways. And, um, and I was in Indiana and that's where I met Andre Galvao. And I was just like a nomad, you know, and I went to, he, it was a 2011 and he had just won ADCC double gold wow. uh, in London. I think that was 2011. And he came out there to do his first seminar. It was the first seminar he did after he won double gold at ADCC. And I went to his seminar and uh, there was like a hundred people there. Like packed, man. The mat was packed. And people flew from different states, like just to come to the seminar. And, uh, and I met him there and, uh, you know, he asked me to roll like while we we did the whole seminar. It was real cool. Good seminar. And then he asked me to, to roll. And, uh, I remember I, I put him in like in a, in an omoplata, not an omoplata, it was an inverted omoplata. And I held him there the whole round. I got, he was stuck and he was just holding his belt to, to defend it. And I couldn't break his grip, man. He was so strong. And, uh, and the time ran out and I ended in that position and I can tell like he, he was going to, he was just like, Oh, good job. And then he went, he trained a few more rounds and then he came back a couple, like three rounds later and he goes, let's go again. And he just, <laughs> the fuck out of me. <laughs> just abused me, man. He abused me. Just was like, a beautiful oh. friendship. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. And I was like, this is cool. I was like, all right. I was like, I like this guy, you know, like, and uh, I didn't have a team you know? and, uh, so fast forward a few more months and I wanted, I wanted to go do pans, nogi pans in New York. And, uh, but I didn't know anything about IBJJF. I didn't know how to do it or sign up or anything. And I didn't know you had to have a team to sign up. So I called Andre or I messaged him on Facebook and I was like, Hey, I want to do this tournament. Like, can we, can, uh, can you be my coach? You know? And he's like, yeah, man, cool. All right. I'll do it for you. And he did all my paperwork. He messaged mm -hmm. IBJJF. I even missed the deadline for registration and he called them and, and asked them to, to slide me in. And he, and he's like, eh, he told them it was his fault. You know, oh. and I, was like, I just thought like, what a cool guy, you know, yeah, yeah. Yeah. to tell the IBJJF that he fucked up. Not I fucked up, you know, it was me, yeah. but he told, he told them that he fucked up and he got me into the tournament. And I just thought, man, I was such a nice guy for doing that. And, uh, so I just, that's when I met him and I stayed with him. How did you get on at the, at the Pan Ams? I got third. Yeah, I got wow. third. I ended up fighting Sinistro. You know Sinistro? You know the name? Francisco. No. He's a good black belt, good competitor. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, we ended up having, like, we fought like four times now. But that was the first one, and I broke his arm. Yikes. But he was winning on points, so he didn't tap. Wow. You know, he just, he just, like, <laughs> just ate it, man. And, uh, and he wow. got out. He got out of it, but he won, you know, four to two on sweeps. So I took third and then he ended up, he, in, and he went on to fight the finals. Um, I don't remember if he won or not. I don't remember. That's intense. You know what else I remember about that tournament? This was, man, this was 2011 or 12. And uh, I also remember, we're all brown belts. This is the brown belt division. And I remember uh, AJ Agazarm because I remember his massive head. That's mm -hmm. what I remember about that. And he had like good wrestling. And uh, he had a match with Gary Tonin. We were in the open class. I did the open class too. But I remember uh, I remember Gary Tonin and, and AJ Agassiz going at it in the finals. Gary won. Okay. But it was, uh, it was crazy. It was 
Is, is, and I had no idea who these guys were, you know, yeah, back then. Yeah. We were nobody, guys... I was nobody. We were all a bunch of nobodies, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and it's just funny now to look back and think about that. So, so was that the start of Atos for you? Yeah. Yeah, that's when I started. And you've been yeah. there ever since. One of the questions that, that we wanted to ask was, Atos have been really successful in a relatively short period of time, um, beating some of the biggest, most established Teams. Brazilian jiu-jitsu teams that there are to date. Can yeah. you attribute a reason to that? When they started, <clears throat> well, you know, like, do, do are you familiar with the TT yeah. team? Yeah. Terede and Telus. Terede, I can't say that. Terede. Yeah. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard right now. Hard for me to. Terede. And Telus. And, and uh, that team, man, if you look back at who was on that team, Every single person who was on that team became a world black belt world champion, like multiple times. Yeah. Every single person, bro. Lucas Lepre was on that team. Andre was on that team. Um, I think I think Lucas Leach was on that team. Um, so many guys, bro. So many. I, I'm missing a whole bunch, but there was a there's plenty of them. And um, and then I remember when Andre he he kind of split him and Hamon Hamon Lemos. He's Hamon Lemos is uh, the coach of the Mendez brothers. Mm, okay. Wow. Andre and Hamon founded Atos together. And I, I remember there, I think they were with, they were training with Brasa or something. This was before Checkmat even existed either. Um, it was, I don't know if it was TT or Brasa, which one came first, but they basically were just like, look, we work really hard. Let's go do our own thing, our own team. And and there was like a there was like twelve guys that got together to form Autos, and there were, if you look back at who it was, they're all really good man. It's Andre and Hamon is amazing. No one knows who he is because he doesn't compete, mm. but he's phenomenal. His jujitsu is so good. Uh, he's the, the the coach of the national team in Abu Dhabi now, and um, you know he's getting that that Abu Dhabi money, you know. <laughs> <laughs> he, they take care of him he does really well out there and um it was honestly it's just it was just i think it's just hard work man mm. these guys just worked really really hard and i think they worked really hard when they were on um, the tt you know but it i also think it has something to do with Terde and the fact that he was like a revolutionary grappler of his time you know he changed the way people pass guard you know he's like the pioneer of the long step mm. you know what i mean like he really and all those guys that trained with him then they all became amazing all of them and i think and, and andre is just another one of those guys that became amazing and um and i think they all just had a really good work ethic they worked really hard and they just had this like this whole revolutionary idea of jujitsu like they they trained with this guy who looked at jujitsu differently and then they, I think, picked up that, that kind of creative curiosity. Because if you think about it, Andre and the Mendez bros, they've really, really pioneered a lot of, of stylistic changes in jiu-jitsu, you know? Mm-hmm. Hoffa, like, basically made the Barambolo famous, right? Mm. Um, and just, I mean, there's, so much, there's some crazy shit that they're doing now that I'm still learning. Not, not, not the Mendez bros, but Andre. Um, and I think they just... Because they trained on that team with uh, with Terede, they they wanted to continue innovating jujitsu. They realized like, oh, we haven't 
figured out all of jujitsu yet. You know, like, look, Fernando uh, is pioneering with long step. And I think they just kind of carry the tradition of like, hey, let's keep innovating jujitsu. Let's keep pushing jujitsu farther and farther technically. And, uh, and I think that's just the Mendes, that's what the Mendes bros do. That's what Andre does, Lucas Laprie. I think they all just kind of have this desire to keep innovating. And I think that uh, combined with a very, very strong work ethic helped make them the best, you know? Uh, Andre's work ethic is disgusting, bro. It's disgusting. Like, it's just, it, you look at what he does and it's like, you can't do this. Like, this isn't, this goes against science. You know what I mean? Like, you're working too hard. You're, and he always just said, like, there's no such thing as, uh, as overtraining. There's only under resting. <laughs> no. You're going to have to figure that one out on your own. <laughs> yeah, on to that one for a second. You can't overtrain. You just under rest it. It's different. But his whole idea is that, like, you have to train hard, but you have to rest hard also. Yeah. So it's basically like go out there and destroy yourself for two hours and then rest for a few hours. Go out there and destroy yourself again on the weights, come back home and rest, and then go back in the evening and do some drilling. You know, like three sessions a day is pretty much what happens during like a really, really hard training camp. Competition training in the morning, weights in the afternoon, drilling and light rolls in the evening. And uh, that's just kind of always been the formula. And it's hard, man. It's, you have to devote your entire life to it. You mm -hmm. can't do anything else. You can't have a job. Mm -hmm. You can't have a girlfriend. You can't have anything. You just wake up, eat, sleep, train, go to bed as much as you can in between your sessions, you know? Mm -hmm. Literally, like, train, come home, shower, eat, go back into bed. You know, stay in bed for, like, two hours, like, thinking about training. And then you're like, oh, shit, I got to go to weights. You know, you go do some weight strength conditioning. And uh, yeah, it, at times it does seem stupid. You know, it just seems stupid, like how much we used to do. Um, but your body adapts, mm. you know? And it, it, at first, it, I remember when I first joined Atos, like when I first moved to San Diego full time was in uh, 2013. Um, I just thought, that is stupid how much these guys do. I was like, I can't even do this. I was like, you guys can go lift weights. I was like, I'm taking the day off. Like, I, can't, I can't do this. And um, I just remember my body was hurting so bad all the time. And I remember one time I was complaining and I'm like, oh, I was like, my body hurts. Cause it was like 8 AM and Andre wanted to drill. He was getting ready for a super fight with Cyborg, I think. And uh, we were drilling in the morning and I was like, oh, my body. And he just looked at me and he goes, he goes, welcome to being a professional athlete. And I just thought, fuck, you're right. I gotta stop being a little bitch. <laughs> <laughs> the thing about that you've kind of just highlighted is a lot of it isn't glamorous. Like no. training hard, going to bed, training hard again. Like there's no glamour to it, really. It's just hard work. I was kind of hoping you were gonna tell me like acai and C B D, but I guess yeah. <laughs> I guess hard work it is. <laughs> yeah, and it's like one of the things is like that is training hard and training hard, because I mean tomorrow you're gonna wake up or like after this you're gonna go and you gotta go face hulk kainan yeah. and regalval yeah. it's just like these yeah. guys are working just as hard as you if not more and, and it's just like they're going at it it's like a, yeah. that's insane and actually when i first when i first went there hulk wasn't at autos yet and neither was kainan kainan was just a blue belt back then 
um, the the guys that I had to deal with were Keenan and JT. Oh Which God. is still they, a handful, yeah. right? Like, <laughs> it's one of the most unpleasant training partners you could ever possibly have. He is just so good, man. So good and so strong. Like training with him is fucking miserable. Even to this day, it's miserable. He he will he whooped my ass so bad the first time I trained with him. I almost took my black belt off. Like I was like, fuck this. I'm not. I don't want. I'm not a black belt. But it's JT, you know, you have to consider, okay, the guy's on the world's finals like every year, you know? Yeah. Like, yeah. But then like, for example, for you, one thing that, that's interesting is like, I was telling all it is, it's like uh, your Instagram page. It's like, I feel like, you know, like how TikTok has like a certain demographic. Yeah. Your Instagram page is like the demographic of like people used to blog because it feels like I'm reading a blog every post, you know, it's like a... This is because I was in because I was in school, you know, I was in grad school and I did a lot of writing back then. Mm. And uh, I did a lot of writing and, and I became pretty good at writing and I enjoyed it, you know. And I used to I used to actually I have some publications in, in the academic journals. Wow. So I spent a lot of time writing when I was in school. I worked for an economist and he was super cool. Actually, he's one of the guys that pushed me to go do jujitsu full time. Uh, when I was in graduate school, because I almost, I almost did a PhD in economics, almost. And, but when you're in grad school, like doing a master's degree, and and you you meet all the PhD students, and they all look really unhappy. Yeah, that's <laughs> so true. <laughs> They're all super unhappy, and I, like I was telling them, I was like, oh, I was thinking about doing this this PhD because my advisor, he was very famous. He was a very famous guy, very good at economics. And uh, it's kind of like getting a black belt from Andre Galval. It's like you get a PhD from this under this guy. Like you, you, your career is going to be okay. You know, you're going to be all right. He's a big name. And uh, it was that guy who told me. He goes, Josh, and he studied entrepreneurship, economics for in in terms of entrepreneurship in local communities and local economies. And he goes. He goes, you don't want to do a PhD, man. I don't know. Maybe it's this nice way of telling me I'm too stupid. <laughs> maybe that's what he was doing. Um, but he was like, Josh, you love jujitsu. I know that you love jujitsu. Because I worked for him for two years, you know. And, he, and we talked a lot. And I told him all about my jujitsu. And he goes, he goes, you will be my hero if you go become an entrepreneur. You know, he goes, I, he goes, I have nothing but respect for entrepreneurs. The risk that they have to take to, to pursue their dreams. It's not easy. And he's like, I think, I think they're the most admirable people in the world, you know, entrepreneurs. And he's like, you love jujitsu. It's obvious you love jujitsu. He's like, if you go to a PhD program, he's like, you're going to be a slave for five years, you know, for five years, you're going to be some, all, everyone in the department, whoever, whatever department you're in, you're a slave for those professors. Like you're going to be doing their bitch work for five years. And then maybe you'll get a job, maybe, you know, It's not even guaranteed. And I just it really stuck with me, you know, when he said that. And I was like, yeah, you know, I was like, I do love jiu-jitsu. I should probably just go do that instead, you know? So I made a deal with myself that I will do jiu-jitsu full-time for six months just to have that experience before I jump into, like, a, a full-time professional career. And so that's when I moved out to San Diego. And Andre had been harassing me to come move out to San Diego because he was getting ready for his super fight. Um, and he wanted, he knew I had a good guillotine. So I was trying, he, he actually recruited me to, to move to San Diego. I'm the only athlete he ever recruited himself. Wow. Every other athlete on the, on the team asked him to join, but I'm the only athlete he ever personally recruited himself. 
And um, so I moved out there and um, yeah, for six months, I was just going to do jujitsu, just to have that experience, like to be a full-time athlete training. So I never had, like I told you earlier, I never had the, the goal of becoming a black belt world champion. It was never my goal. I just wanted to do jujitsu full-time, compete, have fun, make some friends, whatever. And, uh, and actually I didn't, it, this was like 2014 and I didn't even have a good year. You know, I, I think I, I, I won like five grappling tournament and I won American nationals. I didn't even win American nationals. I closed out with Keenan and JT. I closed out with JT, the weight class and Keenan with the open class, but I felt good about that. And I was happy that I was able to close out with these like super good competitors, you know? And, um, and then I think I went to Nogi Worlds that year and I lost, like first round or in the quarterfinal, second round I lost. And, uh, and then I, I, I trained a little bit more. I went to Pans and I did Pans in the Gi. And I, again, I lost like second round or something. And it's a really lackluster performance, you know? And then I was just like, ah, maybe six months. It is enough. And I was like, no, I'll do, I'll do one year. I was like, one year. I was <laughs> Six more months. You know, I was like, I still have some money. I'm not broke yet. I have a little bit of money left. And then I did, um, that's when I did EBI. The EBI was uh, EBI three, I think. It was in March 2015. And then I took second. I, I went to the finals. I fought Gary and I lost in the overtime against Gary. And just be, kind of like being on that stage in the Orpheum Theater. It was EBI three, bros, way back in the day before before EBI was even like a big deal. And I think that was the first one they had at the Orpheum Theater. Yeah. And it was super cool. And I had such a good time. And I just remember like, I'd, and I had just started my Instagram, like just a little bit, like a couple months before. Andre started it for me. I didn't even do my Instagram. Andre Galvao made my Instagram for me. He said, you have to have this. If you're going <laughs> to wow. do this, you have to have this. So I was like, no, fuck this. Like, I don't have Twitter. I don't have Instagram. I don't have any of that. And he goes, no, if you're going to do this, you've got to have an Instagram. And that's why it's Hindu BJJ because his is Galvao BJJ. <laughs> nice. It's crazy that so you we had were, the foresight to, yeah. to yeah. see that. We were sitting in a in a restaurant, and he that's when he was having this conversation with me. And uh, he goes, "Give me your phone," you know. And he makes the account. He goes, "What do you want it to be? Uh, your account?" And I was like, "I don't know." He's like, "Okay, then you'll be Hindu BJJ." So he made it for me. And then he uh, and you'll see if you look at the first two pictures I have is me and him in the restaurant, and then me and Keenan. Um, sitting at the table in that same restaurant, and then when I when I went to EBI and I and I I got um, second place, I got like a fuck ton of followers, wow. you know. After the after the showing in EBI, and then I was like, oh, this is cool. Okay, I like Instagram now. Like, this, I, got, <laughs> I, got, I got all these cool followers now. This is so interesting. And uh, yeah, so that I guess that's when I decided. Like, I was like, I'm just gonna keep going until I run out of money. So again, I never decided, I was like, oh, I'm going to be a champion. Like, yeah. no, I never even thought about being a champion. I was just like, I'm having fun with this. It's super fun. Um, and I, 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 you know, I had about four or $5,000 in my pocket when I moved to San Diego. And I just thought, like, as long as I can pay my bills and it's like, I, I still have money in the bank and I'm not broke, I was like, I'm just going to keep trying. And I remember, I even lived on a sailboat, huh. bro. I lived on a sailboat because this guy was trying to sell the sailboat and I didn't have anywhere to live. And I moved, and I moved into the sailboat and I lived on it for two months and I was thinking about buying it from him so I could have a place to live without having to pay rent. 
you know yeah. i was like trying to figure out how can i keep doing this without spending money you know how can i make my financial life work around jujitsu sailboat was a terrible idea but <laughs> it was an interesting experience you know and um yeah so i guess at some point so like what 2015 <clears throat> and then it was it was 2016 it was the first year that i won nogi worlds and and it was that year when I won that tournament, that's when I decided, I was like, I can, I can keep doing this forever. Mm. That's when I was like, okay, maybe jujitsu is my career now. Uh, it's so funny that I didn't decide it until after I won a big tournament. You know, most people decide before. Mm. But uh, yeah, that was uh, 2016 Ogie Worlds. That was when I decided like, okay, I'm, I'm sticking with this forever until, until I die. I really love the fact that it was just about enjoying it yeah. and having fun as opposed yeah, to like yeah. any pressure about a goal. It was just, you loved it. Yeah. It was, it was, this is the same reason I joined the Peace Corps. You know, I just wanted to have a cool experience. Mm -hmm. And that's really what, what jujitsu was for me all the way up until 2016. I said, I'm just trying to have a unique experience. Like how many people in the world get to do full-time jujitsu, you know? not that many, you know, and train with a great team. And, and I have all the tournaments are here in California. So it's so easy, Yeah, easy to do. It was easy. It's not anymore, but it was easy when all the tournaments are here. There's really great team is here. We have good weather. Um, yeah, I don't know. I just got sucked into it, you know, and then now, but now California doesn't have any tournaments. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think a lot of places don't have any tournaments right now. <laughs> <Yeah>. Josh. <laughs> You know, one thing I was wondering, like I was telling Oli the other day, I was listening to this interview with Michael Phelps and yeah. they did a documentary. I think it's called The Weight of Gold. I haven't seen it, but it's like, uh, apparently it's about all these Olympians who, since they're kids, they're just like waiting for that big moment when they go to the Olympics. And Michael Phelps, he waited for that big moment and he surpassed any expectations, right? He's like the greatest Olympian. And he says yeah. that, after that, it lasted a little bit, and I was depressed. I wanted to kill myself. That's so scary, right? Yeah. And it's just Ooh. like, yeah, like it's it's mad. Like he talks about how he he was holding all this stuff in, and even though he was still winning and his life was great, yeah, he was still having a lot of problems. In the case of jujitsu, it's like you're competing, and after that, you're also working on becoming a teacher, and it's it's like a never-ending process, right? Yeah, you feel yeah. like after 2016, like you started feeling the pressure of like, okay, I got to bring it on now. They're going to feel this hinger teen. Yeah. The, actually, the reason, the, the funny you said that, the very reason I went to the tournament in the first place was because I wanted to um, market my hinger teen DVD. I had just made my hinger teen DVD the, the, a few months before Nogi Worlds. Wow. You know, it's like the first, there's like three of them now, you know, and that was the first one. And it's kind of like, eh, it's kind of, a, the quality is not that good anymore. Right? <laughs> uh, but I remember I went out there and, and I just thought, okay, I have this DVD. I need to market. I was like, I got to go to this tournament and get a guillotine. That's what I got to do. And um, that was my only, I wasn't, I didn't even want to compete. I didn't even want to win. I didn't even think about it. And I almost didn't go. And it was Andre who made me go. Because I was training a lot, you know, and he asked me if I, it was the last day to register. And he, go, he asked me if I registered. And I said, nah, and I was like, it's in San Francisco. It's like 11 hours of driving. It's so far. 
And he goes, why not? What are you doing? You got to go. Like, ah, I don't really want to. You know, it's too far. And he's like, just go. Just go. And I was like, fine, I'll go. And I'll just try to get some guillotines. You know, just to, just for my DVD. Just get some guillotines. <laughs> get a go show real. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And, it, and the, the funny thing is I didn't get a single guillotine in that tournament. What? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I got like a triangle. And then and that was the first time I had a match with Mateus Denise. What? Yeah. And uh, yeah, that was the first time I had a match with Mateus. And I was really nervous about it because Mateus had a badass year the year before. 2015, he had a really good year because he beat um, he beat Muhammad in the open class semifinals. And he fought in the finals of the open class against Felipe Pena. It was nice. a good year. Yeah. And he took second. No, Hulk beat him. Hulk beat Mateus in the weight class. And so he got third in the weight class. And then he got the silver in the open class against Pena, which I thought was like super cool, you know. But if you ever go back and look at that match with him and Mateus, it's actually a really good match. Yeah. Because Mateus was losing the whole time. The whole match, he was losing bad. You know, Muhammad's fucking beast, you know? And and Mateus, it was in the last 30 seconds he was losing. And he, uh, in the middle of the match, he starts, he just goes, he gives that good ki, you know, he goes, ah! and he's fucking slapped himself in the middle of the match. And then he goes after Muhammad and he actually ended up taking Muhammad down, taking his back and choking him with five seconds left or something like 10 seconds left. And I, I was, yeah. And I was in the stands watching that. And I was like, Oh shit. Fuck. I was like, wow, I can't believe that happened. And, uh, and then the next year in 2016, I'm going to, fight this guy and i was like fuck <laughs> you're just like normally, jokes on you like <laughs> yeah I, I don't normally do uh medium heavyweight i i was doing middleweight back then and uh and this 2016 i went up to medium heavy and i was underweight by five pounds i was a small guy for the division and so i was man i was like fuck this big ass kid he's like fucking 20 years old full of like fire and uh and he's bigger than me and he's slapping and, himself uh, yeah, he slapped himself for the match. I was like, All right, whatever, man. I was like, I can do this. Yeah, we had a good match, you know, and I ended up winning. I won. I took his back in the last 30 seconds. Um, it was a good match, man. I, and I have a lot of respect for Matias. I like, I like him a lot, you know. He came up to me the night, the day before uh, and to just say hello and, like, he's wish me luck for tomorrow. He's a good guy. And we're really good friends now. That's dope. And, um, yeah, and then I remember I fought um, Charles Negromach. He's a, a UK guy, actually. Huh? Yeah. You know Charles? Nah, no. You're dropping too many yeah, knowledge yeah, bombs yeah, there, like, Josh. We're going to have sorry. to do, Charles, do our research. Charles he's, he's, uh, he's, the, he's one of the head instructors at Hodger Gracie's Academy. Wow. Right. And I think that's in London. Mm -hmm. It is. Yeah, it is. It is yeah. yeah. So that's where he is, Charles. He's a Brazilian guy, but, but uh, I think he's lived in, in the UK for a long time. And he, I fought him in the finals. And uh, yeah, and I won. And and actually, no one had scored. A, no one scored a point on me the whole tournament. And uh, yeah, it was a big day for me, man. So just to beat to beat Mateus and and to win that tournament. And I fought Muhammad also in the what? open class. Yeah, I beat Muhammad too the night before. I'm yeah. I'm listening to these stories, and, I, and we also we did a quick um, we did a quick search on BJJ Heroes at your record as well. Plus yeah. the fact that you train with some some animals at atos anyone who stands out and if so why why do they stand out on my team no anyone you've ever like competed against trained with rolled with oh, 
I think the two toughest competitive matches I ever had, and you know, it was funny. I asked Marcelo Garcia a similar question. I said, what was the toughest match you ever had? And he's like, well, what do you consider toughest? Is it a match where I lost or a match that was really, really, really close? And uh, I would say the toughest matches I had in terms of like someone who whooped me was uh, Felipe Pena. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Pena just killed me, Europeans. Um, it was in the open class. And uh and I think I was medium heavyweight and he was heavyweight, which is like, you know, they're right next to each other, the two divisions. But I just remember looking at him. I was like, fuck, this guy is huge. He was so tall, you know? And uh, when he did a Toriando pass on me, I couldn't even touch him because his arms were so long. Yeah. He Toriandoed me and like, I literally tried to put my feet or hands on him and I couldn't. He just passed clean, you know? And uh, yeah, he killed me, man. And um, and Homolo. Homolo too. I fought Homolo the same weekend in Europeans in my weight class, and yeah. Homolo, Homolo hit me with that knee cut, man. And I just oh. <laughs> <laughs> with like the 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 hand on your throat and everything. Yeah, he gets those two grips on your pant yeah. and your collar, yeah. and then he just stretches you out, and you can't do anything. Man. Yeah, he just murked me. Um, it's so fun- they both. It's funny listening listening to you say you know Pena's like like a big guy because he doesn't look like no, well the thing is i was about to say because when um we watched adcc last last adcc next to galval he looks tiny yeah he just looks taller <laughs> yeah, right yeah, yeah which is making me nervous that <laughs> galval is bigger than i'm even imagining yeah <laughs> no galval is short and stocky but penna is tall yeah right? yeah um, but penna's not stocky you know he's just yeah. really tall but when he had his gi on and when he was a heavyweight, he looked big, you know? Yeah. But it's also the psychological factor, you know? Like, this is your opponent mm. and he's taller than you. So he just looks larger, you know? The perspective in your brain and the anxiety that you have in that moment. You always, you can look at someone who's probably exactly the same size as you and you'll think, yeah, a little bit bigger. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. You know, like one thing that's quite interesting about you, you got like a Benjamin Button thing going on. Because like <laughs> a lot of these guys, a lot of these guys, like, you know, like Keenan started when he was young, uh, like Pena started I, when they were young, like, you know, like, uh, and it's like, you're like, ah, yeah, you know, I'm going to travel now, you know, I'm back. Okay. Oh, <laughs> Atush, yeah. I, I'm having fun. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, let's go, boys. And it's like, yeah, it's time. So Yeah, I think I started full-time competition what i'm 38 now it's been seven years 31 yeah 31 wow. 31 32 i started full-time jiu-jitsu but it's just one of those things like my goal in my life has always been to collect as many experiences as possible man. that's all i want i just want to collect experiences and have really cool stories to tell when i'm older and that's kind of, every every like two to three years of my life, I would transition into a completely different phase of my life. You know, like I had my wrestling years, and then I had my party years, and then I had the Turkmenistan yeah. years, and then I had teaching jujitsu in Arizona at an MMA academy. And then I had graduate school, which is completely different. Yeah. And then I'm over here doing full time jujitsu at Autos. These are all just very different phases of my life, and uh, they've all had been very unique. And uh, and I've, I've enjoyed that. You know, this has been the longest phase of my life ever. It's been, mm-hmm. I've been in this routine now for six years. And, I, yeah, I have no desire to change it. I love my life. You know, I'm so mm-hmm. grateful for the way my life has played out now. And uh, I'm grateful that I have had, I had the opportunity to have another life. You know what I mean? So, like, you look at Lucas and Kynan, for example. 
they don't know anything else. Mm -hmm. They just know jujitsu. That's it. That's their life is jujitsu. And they've, they've never experienced other things. Like luckily they're very good at jujitsu and they get mm -hmm. to have cool experiences through jujitsu. You know, they travel the world. They've been to mm -hmm. Korea and China and Japan, Australia, Europe, South America, North America. It's cool. Traveling is the best. I think mm. uh, it's, it's my, my next favorite thing, if not my favorite thing, I think maybe travel is my number one favorite thing in the world. And jujitsu is a close second, but they work together for me. You know, I can travel yeah. to do seminars, travel to do competitions. It sounds like a bit um, of a nomad at heart, like sort of like have like this. Yeah. yeah. I've always, yeah. Ever since I went to the Peace Corps, I just thought once, once I, I went out there and I could see like how different the world is, you know? It's so vastly different everywhere you go, every country, every culture. There's so there's so much out there. It's a it's a shame to be stuck in a bubble, you know. I know people who are still in my hometown who never left. Yeah. You know, the the little town I grew up in. They just it's a little valley, and they never left. And I was like, man, it's a big world, man, and it's worth going out to see it. Do you think like? Do you think that goes in? Because like we were reading a quote earlier. Yeah, we um we did a little bit of research before before the podcast, and um, there's always the argument to pull guard to take down. Me and Iki have our own uh, thoughts and feelings on this. Well, we found this quote from yourself, which was um, pretty definitive. It was, "I take those motherfuckers down. I don't pull guard on anybody ever, unless I'm training. I try to take everyone down. That's my A game." Yeah. For sure. Still, <laughs> still live by those words. Yeah, I I did pull guard a few times in competition, just just out of curiosity. You know, I had never done it before. I said, well, "Let's see what happens." <laughs> How did it work out? Um, I lost. <laughs> well, there you go. <laughs> yeah. Every time I pull guard, I lose. And uh, but if you think about who I pulled against, it was like I pulled a guard against Vitor Oliveira. Oh. Do you know Vitor? You know who yeah. he is? I've seen I've seen his fights. Yeah, yeah, bro, he has savage judo takedowns, you know, savage judo. And he, I saw him throw Nathan Mendelssohn one time. He threw Nathan Mendelssohn and Nathan posted his arm and bah, destroyed his elbow. Popped like, oh. out and I was, I was in the, the stands watching that happen. And I said, oh my God, this guy is fucking mean. Vitor is a scary guy. And uh, so when I was going against him, I was like, man, and it was in a gi, you know, and he, he's, he's, he's a judo guy, you know. So I just thought, fuck, I should pull that. Yeah. <laughs> and then Vitor, he whooped my ass for like seven minutes, man. He was beating me up like 11 to zero. Something happened. He did a, He sat up on me for like some sit-up guard, and I just jumped on his head, bro. And then I rolled and I tumbled and I ended up finishing the guillotine and uh, ended up winning. Yeah, but but thank the guillotine saved me, but like I was getting fucked up because I pulled guard. Yeah, and then in the finals match, I pulled guard again and I lost. And I was just like, "Fuck this! I'm never pulling guard again." Well, you heard it here first. Josh Inga says, "Don't pull guard." <laughs> uh, but hey, jujitsu is like life. Yeah. It's better to be on top. Nice, <laughs> it's super interesting. We had um, we had Cameron Shane who was um, giving this like insight into what a guard player is. It's almost like a cat and mouse game. Like he was saying, you almost have to have this mentality where you you almost you almost get caught, and then right at the last minute, you almost like pull away and escape, and that's like making the space and almost like teasing them into it, and then trapping them in that moment. Um, of course, 
your the quote we I, read earlier, that mentality is slightly different from your, from your you're, approach. You're probably the cat. Yeah, I think you're definitely the cat. <laughs> the thing, the thing about guard pulling is like I, I feel like okay, your legs are your guard, right? And you're you're using your guard. I the whole idea of playing guard and using your guard is like to me it seems like you're defensive hmm. right you're guarding yourself against someone else who's attacking you and so naturally the the, the just but the very nature of playing guard is defensive hmm. yeah we can attack from the guard we can submit people but i think the position itself is inherently defensive hmm. and you know because i come from a wrestling background of course i like to stay on top you know mma background i like to stay on top yeah and I think all these things like just kind of embedded these ideas in my brain about I need to stay on top. Um, I, I do play guard a lot in training, a lot. Um, I just don't love it. I just mm. – yeah. <laughs> I, I prefer to lean on people and push with my legs than constantly engaging my core, you know what mm. I mean? Because like guard work is so much core work, and I hate core work. <laughs> you know, it's just so much easier for me to like lean on someone – and like hold a plank position as opposed to like trying to sit up constantly while they're pushing you back down. I just hate that feeling, bro. And I hate that feeling of trying to sit up and have them lean into you and you're like, Ugh, yeah. you go back down. You know, like, but no, it's, all of jujitsu is fun, man. Top and bottom. It's all great. <laughs> I love all of it. I'm not a hater about playing guard. It's just, yeah, if yeah. I have to win, I'm going to stay on top. Yeah. One thing is like, I always wonder, it's like, you know, like how, uh, have you ever heard of like the Pareto principle, the eighty twenty? No. Yeah, so it's like maybe, maybe I've heard of eighty twenty, but I haven't heard the name. Yeah, so it's like this mathematician called Pareto. I think he was a mathematician or an economist. I'm not sure. He went to like villages around Italy, and he just noticed that eighty percent of every result was coming from twenty percent of the effort. So eighty percent of the milk was coming from eighty percent, twenty percent of like uh, the milk producers and so on of crops yeah so they called it the Pareto principle and it it's multidisciplinary like uh, in athletes and and so on so one of the things that I was wondering it's like a lot of especially like let's say at your level every every guy has their thing has their n8020 and yours is like literally hanger thing it's like named after you yeah and yeah it's is it like is it like because it's it's odd it's not that Sometimes people don't know what you're going to do, but it's like they can't stop it almost. It's because you can't actively engage in jiu-jitsu and hide your head at the same time. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Every scramble that anybody gets into, you kind of lead with your head, right? If you're on the bottom and you're going to sit up, your head goes forward, right? Uh, if you if you're just in a, a hot scramble trying to get to someone's back, like your head is always the guiding force of your body. Where the head goes, the body follows. So anytime you get into a scramble, this is why I, I do very well in scrambles, is because the head always becomes available. And as soon as I get the head, I start my sequence. Right, like that's the that's my starting point. Is once I grab their head, my sequence is is has begun. And now I can like, I know I can sweep them. I can roll up to the back. I can take the monoplata. And so all I need to do really in a jiu-jitsu match is create a scramble. And if I can, if, if I can't, uh, like my, my friend and teammate, Michael Lear Jr. He would play guard. He's a good, really good guard player, right? Loves De La Hiva. He would play guard with his head on the mat. <laughs> <laughs> so I couldn't grab his head. 
But you can't play a good guard like that. He would he would prevent me from grabbing his head. Yeah. But he couldn't actively attack me either with keeping the back of the head on the mat while you hold the grips and play daily Hiva. You know, normally you're sitting up like this. Your head is up. And I'm always trying to grab their head, pull them up, or, or flip over on top of them. Um, so it, it was an interesting thing that he would do when he would, when he would do that. Because I thought, fuck, I can't grab his head. What do I do? I was like, but he can't attack me either. He has to, if he wants to attack me, he has to bring his head up off the mat. And so, yeah, all I need to do, because, I, because I, I'm so good with the head control, is just create a scramble. And if you create a scramble, the head becomes available. And that's when things get going for me. Um, I, I don't know why. I, you know, Chris Brennan, my first coach, mm. is a good, good guillotine guy also. He's very good with kimuras and guillotines. You know, and he he was he was really good with this ten finger guillotine that you do, where you mm. you put your chest mm. on the back of their head, and then you crunch. Mm. He was really good with that, you know. And then and then he also had a five finger guillotine he could do with one hand. Yeah, and that's why I learned how to do this, but also because of wrestling. You know, mm. wrestling is all about front head control mm. too. So I think that's why I ended up being pretty good at the guillotine. Um, but I it was I had a buddy, a really good wrestler friend in Arizona named Bo. And Bo was a, was a super heavyweight, and he had a really good low single that he would shoot on me all the time. And I trained with this guy like every day for years. And uh, that's kind of where I developed it because he would always shoot that same shot on me, and I would just bah, jump on his head and try to choke him. And he would, he's a big guy. So once I jumped on his head, he would start rolling around trying to shake me off, you know? Mm-hmm. And I would just kind of go for the ride because he's so big and I would roll with him upside down this way and that way. And I would just hold on to it as long as I could. And I think that's why I can do that so well now is because if I can get a hold of anyone's head, I can hang on. And if they want to turn, I turn with them. If they want to flip, I flip with them. I just stick to them. And a really good example of that is um, I had a match with Izaki by Yinti in ACB. And uh, we got into this crazy scramble. It's like a one-minute scramble of me just holding his head and him just flipping around and rolling. And I was kind of stuck to him and uh, until it, it turned into a submission. But I, I actually didn't name my, my finger team. It was actually a Ricardo Amendolio. He's the, the flow grappling guy that does the, the oh, breakdown. I bet you're glad it stuck, though. Yeah, That's a great name. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it really is kind of annoying the way everyone, everyone else tries to copy it, though. You know what I mean? Like... Like uh, the coma team and uh, everyone, anyone who's good at a guillotine, like yeah, puts yeah. their and puts a team at the end of it. And it's like it's unoriginal, bro. But yeah, like I mean, it's like um, there is nothing like a first one. It's just like I don't yeah, know. It just you know, it, it is what it be is at this point. Well, like, I don't want to, you know, I can't say that mine was the first because I, I think Marcelo team came out <laughs> sure, sure. around the same time as hinger team i don't know i mean he didn't came around he didn't came around instagram so you're you got yeah, you, you got, got your that. coach to thank yeah. for that yeah, but marcelo's guillotine is very different yeah. than mine so you can call a marcelo team a marcelo team because it's, it's this mm. you know what i mean and mine is over the arm they're, yeah. they're different so i think it's okay you know actually like this brought up like a two-part question in my mind which is like about uh fundamentals right uh the first one is the first part of the question is like what do you think are things that you see people doing when they're training either in gyms and so on that you find like eh, this this is kind of like a waste of time 
And the second part of the question is, if you had a white belt come in fresh off the streets and you have six months to train him, unlimited time, unlimited budget, uh, and you have to either prepare him for, for a competition, for a first competition, and he's going to be competing with other very good white belts, like on the, on the, edge, of, on the edge of blue. And um, yeah, what do you do with this person? And what do you don't do with this person? Okay. Um, I know the answer for this. Well, but let me get the first question first. What, remind me what that was? Kind of like things that you see like people doing in gyms, in training, that oh. you're like, eh, bullshit. Okay, one thing that I hate is when people start training on their knees, right? Okay. I just think, silly, it's silly. No one, it's impractical, right? No one will ever do this in a competition, like never. It, it serves no practical purpose. Like either start in a specific position with grips, like close guard, daily heave guard. If you wanna play guard, start with your guard or start standing and make your grips and then pull. You know, make practice doing that. Yeah. Um, because like for if, or if someone like, let's say, I remember I was in New Zealand one time. I was training at uh, City Kickboxing where Israel trained, Adesanya trains, right? It was my, my first year there. And I was, t I taught a seminar there and I was training with this kid, Matthew. He's a cool guy. He's still my friend. Still, still, he's a, uh, still competes. But he, we were going to train. We shook hands and he took a step back and sat down. And I said, so what the fuck are you doing? I was like, I'm going to pass your guard in five, not even five seconds, two seconds. I'm going to pass your guard because you're sitting down and you have no grips. I was like, I'm going to make my grips and wah, I'm going to go. And you're not going to even, you're not going to be able to touch me. It's not even fair. I was like, it's pointless for me and it's pointless for you. I was like, if you need to play guard, you need to start standing. You need to fight for the grips you want. And then you need to pull while you keep your grips. And then you can start engaging. Because this is how it's going to happen in the competition, right? You're going to start standing. You're going to shake hands with your opponent. You're going to fight, make your grips, and then you have to pull. And you need to pull effectively so that they can't pass you or grab your leg or steal the two points or something. You know, they, there's a lot like Lucas. Lucas is so good at doing a cartwheel over mm -hmm. the guard when someone pulls. And, and this happens. Uh, so to, to step back and sit down on your butt, and say, okay, let's go, slap and bump, and you have no grips at all, it's just like you, you're, you're starting at a massive disadvantage. And so I think this is a mistake. Um, and then from the white belt that I have to train, I would really just teach them the sweep single takedown. Wow. Yeah, the one that I love to do. Hmm. I would teach them to grab the collar, pull the collar, sweep around the leg. And a lot of times, like if you just get the takedown, like for a white belt, Usually when you get the takedown, you're going to win yeah. because yeah. You, got, you got two on the board, right? And now you're, and you're in a good position. Usually, usually you end up getting pretty close at like chest to chest, half guard. Uh, with the sweep single that I like to do, a lot of times people will put their hands on the mat and then you can go from the single leg to the body and take the back. Mm. And I think if I had six months, I would just train them how to do this like savagely, like sweep single, pull the collar down hard make them put the hands on the mat grab their hip, take their back. It's, it's one of my best techniques, I think, in my, all of my, my grappling. Wow. Um, and then if they, you know, but sometimes people will pull first maybe before. So then I would probably just teach them how to just, I would back to fundamentals, man, like Toriando pass, hard Toriando passes or half guard, 
hug the head and just smash pass, you know? Bread and butter stuff. Yeah, just real basics. You know, it's crazy because I never really thought of myself as like a really basic fundamental jujitsu kind of guy, you know? Like I like twisters, I like Google platas. I like to do shit with the lapels. Yeah, but then um, we, we saw that takedown you did in ADCC, the last one, it's like, that's very bread and butter. Whipped him down. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, yeah. That, you know, he was leaning on me. Yeah. You know, that was his, he made a mistake, he was leaning on me. And uh, I like Gabriel a lot, man. Gabriel's yeah. a nice guy. He's a very good competitor. And uh, I've, I've competed with him three times. Uh, but he was tired, you know, he mm. was really tired and he was leaning on me and I said, nah, man, you're not going to leave. Man, Josh, I really hoped you were going to say you're just teaching the Turkmenistan wrestling stuff, but you know, <laughs> sounds like a, yeah. How was it? How was it training with, uh, Israel and the city block? Kick? Oh yeah. man, those guys are great. I've, I've known them for like four, three or four years now, ever since I went to their academy in uh, New Zealand. Um, they're great. Man. They're, su they're such good guys. You know, like Israel, Israel's not just like all MMA fighters. He's not the character that he plays mm -hmm. mostly. You know I mean? He plays like a smart ass, you know, but he's actually a, like a very, very kind person. He's a little scatterbrained because he's mm -hmm. young and he has so much coming at him and all from all angles that the guy cannot walk anywhere without people yelling at him. Like nowhere, bro. You can walk outside We had, they had an Airbnb, man. He just came outside to like, I don't know, pick up the Uber Eats from the, the guy mm -hmm. that came up. And then someone walking by was like, are you Israel Adesanya? <laughs> Let's just take a picture. You know, like yeah. it's just endless, bro. He can't get mm -hmm. a break. And so like, man, it's, it's kind of, it, it, it's impressive. Like how much you have to be on. Like the guy is on all the time because he always has people coming at him. And he gives so much of his time to these people, these complete strangers, you know? Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of people don't see that, right? Because if, if we see someone like this, like if I see Conor McGregor, I'm like, oh shit, Conor McGregor, I have to go get a picture. Mm -hmm. This is my only opportunity. I might never see him again. And I could totally see myself doing that. If I saw mm -hmm. Conor McGregor, I was like, man, I want to get a picture of Conor. Mm -hmm. I'll never, when, when will I ever have a chance to do that again? Mm -hmm. yeah. But you yeah. have to remember from his perspective, like he gets that shit all day long you know so for him seeing you and taking a picture is just like breathing yeah yeah he's gonna do it a thousand times that day and he's not gonna think anything of it you know and it's, it's just another just another number a statistic and um and i think i think people should remember this when they want to approach like these really famous mma fighters Like, understand what their life is probably like. And you might, might think, oh, well, first world problems. Like, fuck this guy. He's a millionaire. He's famous. Like, God forbid the worst thing in your life is you have to take pictures with people. Like, come on. Anyone would love to have that life. But it, you, you have to remember, it gets old, man. It gets mm -hmm. really old. And sometimes, like, to not have your personal space can, like, drive you insane. Yeah. Because it's not just a picture. It's the picture's all the time yeah, <laughs> yeah. And, it, and it's the way it's the way that people approach that this is a big deal like like israel loves it when people are very polite and respectful of his space you know and if you come up politely and you say like excuse me sorry to interrupt like oh i'm a big fan i would love to have a picture of you if, if it's not a big too much trouble like and if that's the situation he will always do it He'll be like yeah of course of course get over here i'll take it for us to, you know and he'll do it himself 
Um, but if like someone walks up is like, yo champ, let me get a pick and just jump on him. Yeah. You know, he's like, fuck you, get off me. Like, bah, you're going to catch an elbow. You know, yeah. it's all about how you approach. And if you are polite and respectful, and I think a lot of people forget that, you know, yeah. Yeah. great guys, man. The, the guys from city kickboxing are classy, classy men. And, uh, I'm, I'm you know, Brad Riddell is a, is one of Izzy's best training partners and he's my good friend. And uh, Brad's fighting uh, Gillespie. Gillespie? Gillespie? Mm-hmm. Do you know who that is? No. Gillespie. Gillespie. Anyway, that's coming up next month. So um, you guys take note of that and check it out. And then I think Israel's fighting Jan in March. Yeah. That's a, the heavyweight. Yeah, that's, that's going to be right? interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Right, so it, yeah, Israel. Nice. Light heavyweight. Light heavyweight. Light heavyweight. Light yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Light heavyweight. So yeah, Israel's trying to take two belts now and uh, and maybe chase after John Jones. Yeah. So that's going to be super interesting. Do you know what this podcast has made me realize? We need to get a young Jamie that can pull up stats. <laughs> <laughs> pull up some stats and figures for us. Um, you know, he and like, I, when we were doing our podcast, we would have uh, a couple of his employees, some of his employees would, would do that for us. And it actually is very helpful. You know what, what I actually was going to talk about your podcast? Because like, what's your like i mean for anybody who doesn't know go check out the matt burn podcast it's so good like it's it's weird because like sometimes it's like two hours podcast you guys only talk about jujitsu for like two minutes and then it's like (laughs) we basically just sit and talk to each other you know like but keenan and i have always had interesting conversations and i think that's why we're good friends you know because we we can we can go off on these crazy uh tangents and just keep talking he loves conspiracy theories yeah. he fucking loves it <laughs> it's almost too much bro like he really loves all the q and stuff and like he's a he he really believes like trump is not that out yet he's yeah. like no trump. he goes trump's gonna make a comeback you know <laughs> bro we made a bet on it check this out i he told me there's no way trump's gonna be out of office he said he said biden he's not gonna get inaugurated And I said, bro, it's done. It's a done deal. Like, I don't <laughs> care how you feel about it. It's legally is done. And uh, he bet me, we bet his car for, uh, no. if, if, yeah, yeah. Not Wait. like for keep, but like I can, I get to drive his Tesla for two weeks if Biden became president. Oh my said, God. <laughs> the, election, the election was over. The election was over, but he really believed that <laughs> something's going to happen. <laughs> somehow Trump is going to figure it out a way to, to fix the election. And so if I lost, I had to go train at Legion. I had wow. to leave for two weeks. Yeah, for two weeks, I had to like knock on autos and I had to only go to Legion for two weeks. And if I won, which I did, I get his Tesla for two weeks. Okay. So I messaged him the other day because this, you know, Biden just got inaugurated. And I said, boom, my one buddy, where's my Tesla? And he goes, he goes, but I don't have another car because he, he does have another car, but someone else is using yeah. it right now. And I was like, go drive your, he's a piece of shit Toyota truck. You know, I was like, go drive your Toyota. Give me my Tesla. And he's like, oh, I, I can't right now. Like, later, later. And I, I said, okay. Um, and he goes, how about we do a double or nothing bet? Okay. Uh, is- I want to hear this. <laughs> so the other thing he's obsessed with is Tesla, which everyone knows. And so Tesla stock is is quite high right now. It's like mm-hmm. eight or nine hundred dollars per share. And Keen and I we we do a lot of uh, stock trading too, you know, and we talk to each other about it. Give, you know. And uh, 
and I said, I said, man, I can't do Tesla right now. It's too high. I think, I think it's, it's at the, it's at the peak. It's not going to mm. go higher. You know, I can't, it's not, it's disconnected from the fundamentals of the company and the stock price is just hype. It's all hype. And I said, it's going to go down soon. I'm pretty sure he goes, no, it's never going to go down. And he's like, and it's like $850. I said, I said, bro, it's going to go down. He goes, it'll never go below 800 ever again. I said, no. what? <laughs> Do you know anything about the stock market? Like, this is what it does, man. It does this. He goes, it'll never go below 800. It's, it's at 850 or 860. And I was like, man, one bad day, it'll go below 800. You're crazy. And he goes, that's do double or nothing. As <laughs> far <laughs> ever goes below 800 again, I get his car for a month. That's amazing. I'm actually going to set up a stock tracker. I'm going to set up an alert. If it drops below, I'm going to message Josh Hing. I'll be like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. If, 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 I guess, I don't know how he, how he can win because the bet is like, does it ever go below 800 again? <laughs> but like Keenan seems like a smart guy. He is a smart guy. He's very smart. So why is he making these bets? I mean, I in, if you it's think hard. about it, this is something I was actually talking with John, uh, another friend of ours that does the podcast with us. And uh, he's a big fan of, of uh, the lapel. Yeah. And one of the things is that we're, we're seeing, like, you know how sometimes you can see a person's personality on the mats? Yeah, I sure. wonder, I wonder, like, because I mean, the lapel, it's like, it's a lot of um, trying, it's a little bit like trying to check if this conspiracy theory is true or not, right? It's like, cause yeah, yeah, everyone right. on the outside is like, no, yeah. there is no, there are no lizard people. And then you're like, oh, these are yeah. the lizard people. That's true, actually. Yeah. And it's funny because Keenan is a super kind of lazy guy. And like his jujitsu is pretty lazy, too. You know? Yeah. <laughs> He just grabs a lapel, wraps it around the leg, and then you're trapped there, and he just kind of chills, you know? <laughs> yeah. And even if you try to smash him, he's so flexible, like you can stack him, and he doesn't feel, like, too bad. He can just hang out in this position until you get tired. Like, And he's very much a lazy person. Like, But he's also effective. Like, he's an effective Very effective. Also. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm... He just is lazy and effective, and in life, Keenan is lazy and effective. Yeah. Like with his business, with like the way he manages his life, he's very lazy, but somehow he gets a lot of shit done. Mm. Do you think like someone asked me, um, uh, cause you're asking, especially like the people that listen to your podcast in our group chat and, uh, shout out to her, Preet. She, she asked, uh, what animal do you think you would be? I guess like related to jujitsu, but yeah, like, I want to be, be, I want to be a gorilla. 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 It's great. I, I want to be a gorilla. I just want to be able to smash motherfuckers. <laughs> <laughs> Pick it up and just like, bah, bah, bah. You can take the wrestler. <laughs> well, you can yeah. take the man out of wrestling. <laughs> have you seen? Have you seen? Have you seen that video of like a man that meets? I think it's like a, a, a walking safari, and these people like are walking past a gorilla, yeah. and then they just like face each other for like a few minutes. Yeah, the family is a gorilla family. Yeah. Right, and the babies were like messing with them, and then like the the big papa gorilla yeah. was like right behind him, like. Yeah, <laughs> man, like, I think I'll piss in my pants. <laughs> Legit, oh, it'd be terrifying. Legit, be terrifying. If you piss that baby off, that dad is gonna rip you to pieces. You know. Yeah, like one move, game over. What move? Yeah, <laughs> worm guard. I think, gorilla, <laughs> I think the gorilla could probably remove your head with just one good slap. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, oh. 
the the old the old thing it's about like who would win in a fight a gorilla or a grizzly bear and just like that we have become the joe rogan podcast <laughs> but, 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 please, but, but please go on <laughs> no like it's, it's like man like um one of my favorite movies is like uh um it's like this documentary uh grizzly man oh and he goes and lives with the grizzly bears yeah yeah, yeah. and like there is this scene yeah. where like these two grizzly bears are fighting and every time i watch that scene i'm like man i wish it was a gorilla and a grizzly bear <laughs> see what happens yeah. <laughs> it'll, it'll never happen because they live in very different environments yeah. the grizzlies like in the mountains and the what are, what are gorillas they're kind of jungles not jungles, jungles yeah. Yeah. yeah yeah they're always surrounded by leaves i'm pretty I sure like if some like wild millionaire listens to this podcast he can, make, he can make this happen what's <laughs> up <laughs> i know how we can get Elon, uh, tesla stock down yeah <laughs> <laughs> no that would be wild that would be wild. Yeah, I I, I don't know. I I want to lean towards the gorilla, but I mean a bear, man. Yeah. Just those claws. I don't know. Grizzly bear. I guess it's 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 about how long can the gorilla sustain, like, live with like getting bit, you know, like hard. Yeah. 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 And I how much bear, bear, because like a black bear is pretty small, a mm, grizzly yeah. bear is bigger. Yeah. The biggest is a polar bear. They're the most dangerous as well, aren't they? The polar bears. Yeah, they're the most aggressive, the most territorial, and they're twice the size of a grizzly. Oof. Wow. But I think the polar bear could fuck up the gorilla just yeah. out of sheer size. Yeah. The gorilla, though, the gorilla has just sheer power. It's and nothing but muscle. And they're agile. They're so agile. You and you know? do like kind of imagine a gorilla, like, locking in that, that seatbelt. And then, and then I'm also thinking if it knew, uh, yeah, if it knew, had some some knowledge, I wonder, I wonder who would get tired first too. Like it sounds like, I mean, in my mind, the bear seems to get tired first. I would think so. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the bear wants it. You know, I don't think it's got it in him. Wow, you're really gorilla team, bro. <laughs> I'm going gorilla. <laughs> yeah, I think I think you're right though. Yeah, I think I think that I think a gorilla would be is more attuned for conflict than a grizzly. Yeah. Well, on that note, <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I have like a question that I like back to actually jujitsu and so on, right? It's like a you know, like when your podcast, this is like what how we got to gorillas. It's like a my favorite episode is the one with Stuart Cooper. Um, yeah, that's a good one. I know. It's like I didn't see it coming. Like, cause I, I think I started listening uh, to the later ones, and then I went to the beginning. So I think that's like tenth or thirteenth or something. And like yeah. all of a sudden, he just starts talking about the videos, and I was like, yeah, yeah, I've watched those videos. And then things just start getting deeper and deeper yeah. and deeper. And it's like, cause he, he talks about like how I think he had like a, a problem, like with his emotions and stuff. Like he, he was just feeling sick. Drug. Yeah. And he, drug yeah. Sleeping. Yeah. And, um, and then he quit them. And this was like for like one year cause he traveled so much. Yeah. And then he quit the pills, but his brain chemistry was just fucked up. Yeah. You know? So he just got super depressed. He got really depressed, and then for like one year, he like lived in a basement at his parents' house and just could not leave. He just didn't care, and uh, and then he went to do the ayahuasca. Yeah, and it just bah, fixed him. So you know, it's crazy because like, the, the ayahuasca is like the the DMT drink you go doing like yeah. in like Colombia or like the Amazon, isn't it? You do a lot of places. Yeah, you, he did his in um, Denmark, mm. and it fixed him. Yeah, fixed him yeah. like that. 
It was crazy. It's a, you haven't you haven't listened to the episode? Uh, yeah, listen. I, I, I haven't heard it. Yeah. No. I'm not going to tell you about it. You got to go listen to yeah, it. Yeah, you okay. got to listen because okay. it's it's deep. I think it's episode ten or thirteen. Yeah. yeah. Or seven. Okay. Seven, yeah. ten, or thirteen. Whoa. But but I th I think this is like one of those when you guys actually started writing like the name of the guest because I think in the beginning you didn't. Like I was like, yeah. who's this? Oh, this is JT Torres. Like, you know, like, <laughs> yeah, like yeah. Uh, it's like um, the thing I was wondering is like I find like you know like we're talking about conspiracy theories and stuff, and it's like jujitsu. I find it as like it's almost like a very attractive to like a particular group of society. It's not like um, a very it's not like a very charming sport that you look and you're like oh I wanna try that, and yeah. it's just like. In every jujitsu school that I like, that is like the group that is like, hey man, have you ever tried DMT? <laughs> like every everyone, you know, like it's just so like. Because <laughs> if you're if you're into jujitsu, you have a pretty open mind. Mm. You know I mean? mm. Like first of all, you probably have to really enjoy puzzles. You know, you have to enjoy strategy games, mm. and you have to be okay with with very like physically uncomfortable, socially uncomfortable positions, right? Mm. Right. Someone's going to sit on your face. Yeah. Someone's going to sweat into your mouth. Oh, like, sorry, bro. Someone's <laughs> going to, someone's going to accidentally grab your dick. Yeah. It's going to happen. It's going to happen, bro. If it hasn't happened to either of you guys, it will. Yeah. It will. Uh, it's, it's happened. Not all of them happen. <laughs> <laughs> right. It's inevitable. It's just, a, it's just, a, it's a numbers game. It's like statistically, it's going to happen eventually. And, uh, you know, and if you're, if you're, can see all these things. Oh, and you might break something at any moment, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. Something broken on your body at any moment. You could have a broken arm, broken finger. You can hyperextend your neck. Like, and if you're still willing to get past all these weird things and still you want to do this thing, like you're a very open-minded person, mm -hmm. you know what I mean? And you're probably seeking something, right? I think Andre always told me that people who come to jujitsu never come to jujitsu just because. Mm. No one just like wakes up and is like, I'm going to go do jujitsu. Mm. Like he said, everyone who joins is seeking something. They need something. They need help with something. They need either fitness in their life. They need exercise. They need stress uh, relief. They need some kind of like outlet. Um, maybe they just need friends. Maybe they need a social environment. You know, and I think, I think that's the biggest one for jujitsu. I think people love being a part of a team. They love it. Yeah. They love it, bro. This is why politics is so fucked up in the U.S. Mm. It's, it's a team sport. Yeah, you know what I mean. It's just a blue team versus the red team, and they're just like, ah, they're always like fighting. And like, someone wins the election, they're like, yeah, we won. Fuck you guys. Yeah, it's the yeah. same thing like when the 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 football teams play each other. You know, there's like, yeah, we won. Fuck you. <laughs> and uh, and I think people love being a part of teams, and I think yeah. that's the biggest appeal to to jujitsu people. Someone told me something the other day, which which really helped me view things in a very different way. He says, if you're arguing with someone um, and you want to convince them to come over to your side, he's like, you've got to think of that other person. If you're really aggressive and you're really confrontational and you're not willing to like, like have any humility, why would that person want to be on your side? Like, mm. why would they want to come over and be like, yeah, I'm going to, I want to stand by you. Yeah. Like, you have to remember that if you're trying to get someone to see your way, it has to be inviting. It has to be... Like you have to be welcoming. They have to feel safe yeah. to come over to your point. Yeah, you got to make it appealing. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah. And I think I guess as a jiu-jitsu person, if you're trying to convince a non-jiu-jitsu person to come to jiu-jitsu, 
it's easy to do that because you're like, man, you're going to get some good exercise. You're going to learn how to kill people. You're going to make new friends. Like it's, there's so many benefits. Like what's, what's the negative externality of jujitsu? Really is hard to identify that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Really is. One of the hardest things I struggle with is everything that happens outside of the things you've just spoken about. So like you're going to lose weight. Like if you're you're going to get a really great weight, you're going to learn a skill, you're going to meet people. But then jujitsu has this ability to impact your life in a way that's really hard, at least for me, to articulate. It's Mm. everything that almost happens off the mats. And you can start to trace it back. And I have listened to some people like give a really good explanation of it. But when someone says, like, why should I do jujitsu? I feel really underprepared to give a dignified answer as to why it's so amazing to your life. Yeah, I guess maybe the the best approach is uh, to say, why not do jujitsu? Mm. Does anyone have a good reason for not doing jujitsu? That's true. Put them on the spot. (laughs) You know, like, do you like exercise? Do you like making friends? Do you want to learn how to defend yourself from any position? I tell people, I said, jujitsu is the only martial art that teaches you how to fight off your back. Bro, yeah. this guy says this all the time. <laughs> it's so true. The only one. There's no other martial art that teaches you how to fight off your back. Uh-huh. Next, it's one of the very few martial arts where you can train at 100% effort without hurting each other. Yeah. Boxers can barely do that, you know? Like maybe when they spar, they can't really go 100% and they need to wear the gear. Um, taekwondo, karate, Krav Maga, uh, they can't go 100%. It's always mm-hmm. like, oh, can't i'll kill you you know if we go 100 you're gonna lose an eye you know yeah. problem like stick their thumb in your eye or something so it's the only one where we can go at 100 percent and no one has to get hurt it happens occasionally but uh it doesn't have to happen and um like i just thought of the the negatives <laughs> the only negative to jujitsu is you like you might get ringworm this is true yeah well like that's not a big deal. You know what I mean? Like, oh, you put a little cream on it. It's gone in a couple of days. It's all good. It'll be gone. But like, if that's the worst thing, like, yeah. you know, you get, I guess people, people can say they're worried about getting injured, but like, you just, that's just ignorance, right? That's just mm-hmm. like, okay, you can avoid being injured very easily. If you just choose your partners carefully, choose your positions carefully. And at any moment, you just tap, right? At mm-hmm. any moment, you like you just have to tell people like any second that you don't want to be here and you don't want to be in this position you just got to do this and you're going to be out there's no problem you know if you're like can't breathe you're getting smothered and you're like Aah. you know just tap and you're, out and you're out it's all good to be fair like i think i don't know what's the percentage like but i've gotten injured way more often by playing soccer than <laughs> actually that actually jujitsu yeah for sure i think jujitsu is so unique because you have to trust each other. And this is another positive that people don't understand. This is like a, a side um, benefit that you build very, very strong trusting relationships with your partners. Yeah. Because you're nah, trusting your partner. <laughs> yeah, Because you guys trust each other with your body. Mm-hmm. You trust him not to break your arm, you know, the second it's straight, you know, like you know how you get an arm bar, you stretch it out, but you don't like, ah, you don't hip into it, you know, and you don't try to rip it off. You just hold it there and like kind of look at them like, hey, it looks stupid, like you're done. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? We trust each other not to break shit. Then you know, you get the heel hook and you start putting a little pressure on it. And like once it starts getting really tight, you don't keep 
putting pressure, you kind of slow down and give them the chance to tap. This creates so much trust for each other, you know? Mm. And I think that's one of the biggest things that really helps jujitsu teams get like really tight Definitely. is that we train hard. We suffer together. We train, you know, you're like, do the hard, the hard classes, the hard sessions when everyone's kind of like, Ugh. and then, you know, you go to competitions together. So you have to like, you guys deal with like anxiety together. Like, Oh, we're both going to go do this tournament. Like it's very stressful. And then, yeah. And then the training, like, yeah, you, you helped me prepare for this. I helped you prepare for this. We, we didn't hurt each other. We trained hard, but no one got hurt. So I think that all these things together is what really creates like a tight team and, and like, man, what's better than that? You know, like having a really solid team environment that everywhere, everyone likes each other and everyone trusts each other. It's priceless. It's priceless. That's so accurate. No. Think about, think about the work environment, how many people work in an office, you know, and that's their team. Yeah. Right. And, 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 and employers and, and managers, they like to use this team analogy. Like, Oh, we're a team guys. Yeah. Like, like uh, what's the the office is Dunder Mifflin, right? Yeah. Dunder Mifflin, like, yeah. and that's their team, you know, and they're competing against the other paper people. Yeah. And it's and the and the manager is always like, all right, team, we're gonna do this today, you know. But it's like it's not the same, man. Nah. But yeah. the team thing is like that's the thing to do to make people like tight and make people work together, make people support each other and and help each other for the benefit of the group. But. You know, it's, like, it's, it's funny you, you mentioned the work environment because both Ollie and I are filmmakers. And uh, I was reading this, uh, this interview with Martin Scorsese. He was talking about when he was making, I think, Raging Bull. And he wasn't sure about a scene. So he was feeling inside, he was feeling like lacking confidence. And a lot of that comes from, okay, I don't know, maybe you can walk up to anybody in the team and ask them. And they'll be honest with you. And like in jujitsu, you can't really lie, right? Mm. And then he yeah. said, oh. <clears throat> he says that uh, he asked these two guys that were in the sound department, just holding the boom. And they're like, ah, no, this is great. This is great. We love it. And then he goes to the toilet and he overhears them like, what the fuck is this movie? What, like, what, yeah. like, man, like yeah. is this Robert De Niro guy? Is yeah. just like awful. And then, and then like, He comes out of the toilet and he asks them again. It's like, ah, not amazing, amazing. And then he goes and sits down. So he's, he's like, he has this huge production around him. And all these people that are, um, quote unquote, yes. a team. Yes, men. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But like they can't. It's like in jujitsu, you can't really bullshit. I know your arm bar is pretty good. It's pretty good. Your bar just. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But yeah. isn't that, isn't that interesting? Because you can understand why they would do that. Mm hmm. You know, it's their job. They don't want to get thrown off by the director. They may have had a bad experience before. There's all these reasons. But the point still remains, he doesn't have a good team around him. That's what fascinates me. So then how do you cultivate a good team? Mm -hmm. You know, how do you make that mentality with the trust and the ethic and the, and the vision that you want to do? I think uh, Andre, Andre does a really good job at leading the team because he is such a nice guy and he's such a good person that he's a good example for everyone you know what i mean and i'm probably the worst example of an andre galval follower um because i'm not that nice to people <laughs> <laughs> but i mean this in a like, i have a different perspective of, of what is niceness you know or kindness <clears throat> i like 
like I hate yes men. Like the guys you were talking about, mm. the people who say yes, I hate people like this because they're fake. And I hate fake people more than anything. And fakeness is is a tricky thing, right? Because you can argue that being polite is fake. Because a lot of times being polite is not very genuine. You just do it because it's socially acceptable and that's what it's what you need to do to make other someone else like you. But but if you're just doing it ingenuously, it's it's not the real you, and you're just being fake. And I, I, to me, that's offensive. Like when people are fake to me, I'm a, I'm just offended. Like tell me how it is. Mm. Like I want a real talk. And and when people give me real talk, I I am very grateful for it, even if it's harsh. If it's harsh, if it's hard to hear, if it's painful to hear, it's okay. I need it. You know, like I need the, to hear the truth. And I try to do that for people. Okay. And I'm, I'm, I'm a, I'm very direct. Right. And, and sometimes too direct. It, it's abrasive, you know, that's, and I think I, I offend a lot of people because I'm just very, I'll tell you exactly how I feel. No bullshit, no sugar coating. Like if you're annoying, I'm just going to tell you you're annoying. Like, I don't want to Hey, you're annoying. Leave me alone. I don't want to talk to you. Um, and maybe that's, it's, it's like a, it's not polite. It's definitely not polite, but it's uh, maybe it's, I could soften it up a little bit, and that's like my flaw that I need to work on is like how to how to be very direct with people and truthful without being a dick. That's my reputation. I'm a dick, but I would rather be a dick than be a fake person. You know what I mean? Um, so yeah, there's a way to be, you know, to be polite to people without being like a yes man. You know what I mean? Because you're you're doing a disservice to your mm. friend if you're not telling them the truth. You're being a bad friend, I think. If you're not direct enough with your friends and your or teammates or whatever, and you're just kind of blowing smoke up their ass, that's a disservice, you know. And it's not it's not good. It's, you're not a good friend. Um, but there's a, a softer way to do it, which is something I'm trying to figure out. Um, and that's hard, right? Because. Our society sets us up for all these airs and graces and this is how you do this and this is how you do that. And um, it's very easy to hide behind those things. Yeah. And especially like in the work environment, like in a professional work environment, you, you can't, you got to be really careful, right? Mm. Because if you offend someone, you could get, you lose your job. Yeah. Uh, you know, you'll get, get fired or, or get a, like some, some disciplinary action. Um, I've been like free from professional work environments for about six years now. And so, and I think I can never go back to it because I just can't control my, my mouth. You know, I'll just say some shit and then I'll get fired. Mm. So I have to figure out how to work this entrepreneur thing. <laughs> um, <laughs> but um, ah, I forgot where I was going with that. I just, I, I, there's a balance, right? There's a balance where like you to be, where we can be truthful with each other without being fake, without being offensive. Yeah. I think there's, yeah, it's a sliding scale, right? You slide it one way to one extreme and, you know, you have no kind of insight into your actions or your words, you know? You just walk around saying whatever you want, don't care. You slide it the other way, you don't say anything, mm, you know? Right. You almost hurt yourself because you're trying to please someone. And yeah. then there's all the various different shades in between, which is it's tough to figure out because you can't change who you are and yeah. neither should you. Um, however to have like insight is always is always beneficial and it's hard yeah. it's like we we are we are brought up 
with being liked as being way more valued than actually yeah. like it's like i think social interaction and, and social yeah. hierarchy is is very important because it's almost like we we're not we're not we're not educated to think like man i will say something that i really mean it it's not nice it's gonna hurt someone else but we can be responsible f to getting over it mm. and moving on like it's like we can't it's like we can't in certain relationships i think you you come kind of get into this agreement of like just tell me as it is i'll get over it you'll get over it we'll move on but yeah i mean certain situations are delicate right like work oh, completely but one of the interesting in relationships that all three of us would have experienced is that of a coach and a student yeah that coach <coughs> has a responsibility to tell you you suck <laughs> you're not ready you're you're not doing this right otherwise what service are they doing to you other than right. blowing smoke up you yeah. right but also uh the coach has the responsibility of trying to build your confidence absolutely yeah right that's the that's the balance that's the the, the juggling act that you got to do you can't be you can't go to someone who's like you know you have to know your students and and i had an experience recently where i went to a, a team and i saw this i was doing a seminar and i watched this coach interact with his students and i just really disagreed strongly with how he approached his students like he was very aggressive he had a military background and he was a very educated person too but he was too aggressive man and i i think i was like these students these are not like professional jujitsu people these are like people who just want like jujitsu and they have jobs and they just want to train in the evenings and have fun. And, uh, and yeah, they do some competitions, but like their, their aspirations are never to be a full-time jujitsu competitor. And Matt, he was so mean with them. And I was like, fuck. And, uh, like he would just like almost yell at them. Like there were children and I'll say, bro, like you, I, I don't know. I didn't really talk to him about it because I didn't. He wasn't my good friend, you know. I didn't really find it was my place to to talk to him like about it. But I, I strongly disagreed with how he did it. You know what I mean? And Andre is like on the opposite end. Andre is just a very. He's a. I, I think he's the best coach in the world because he balances these two things very, very, very well, mm. very well. And uh, he'll tell you <clears throat> where you're making mistakes, but he'll do it in a very nice way. Um, and he will generally believe in you more than, than you believe in yourself, to be honest. He, he's done it to me multiple times where he told me I'm going to go to this tournament and win. And I was like, I don't know, man, maybe, maybe not. Uh, no, he's like, no, you're going to win. And then I won. And I, I was wondering, like, maybe I won because of him, because he was telling me this, you know, I don't know. Maybe. Um, but yeah, that's, it's an interesting balance set to, this is why I'm not a coach yet. I mean, I'm a coach, but I don't have my own academy because mm. I'm still trying to figure out how to how to be very direct with people without being offensive. Um, right now, I'm just offensive. <laughs> have you seen? I don't know, man. I, I still I still stand by what I said. I'd rather yeah. be offensive and abrasive than be fake. Yeah. Have you seen that movie Whiplash? Yeah, bro. There's a picture hanging on my wall. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Love that film. <laughs> <laughs> that's. Yeah. I mean, that's like the pursuit of yeah. of like how far are you willing to go to be the absolute best at your craft um josh i don't know if you've seen it but like when he, he this guy he wants to be the best drummer and he has this teacher that throws symbols at his heads that yells at him until he cries that pushes him and push him push him the whole thing about it is that like how far are you willing to go like if i stop if i dropped the bar 
you'd be mediocre. So he pushes yeah. him and pushes him and pushes him and pushes him. There's an amazing final scene where it just like blew my mind. It's one of my favorite films of all time. And it's this absolute pursuit of greatness, but it flies in the, you have to completely commit, let go of everything. The guy basically like gets rid of all his like possessions, he gets rid of his relationships, and all he does is drum. That's it. Um, great film. <laughs> Check it out. <laughs> yeah, called yeah. Whiplash. It's got Miles Teller and J.K. Simmons in it. Fantastic. Someone is a fan here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, Josh, um, man, this conversation can go on forever and ever. Uh, but we would like to respect your time. And uh, <laughs> man, thank you so much for, for, for pulling up. That yeah. was amazing. Yeah. My pleasure. I had a good time. I don't do these too often anymore. I used to do a lot more of them. And, um, you know, every time I do it, it's like, it's, it's, it's super fun. You know, I had yeah. a good time. I'm glad I did it. You know, sometimes I think, like, oh man, I don't know. Like, I don't know if I have anything to talk about, you know? Uh, but once I get, once you get in the flow of it, it's always just comes out naturally, yeah. you know? So yeah, I had a good time with you guys. Thank you man, for having me. Really, too. really appreciate it. Thank you so much, man. One thing, one yeah, thing we cool. always would like to ask you is like, is there anything you'd like to, to, to share that people can learn more yeah, from you. Yeah, let me give my little shout outs. Yeah. yeah, <laughs> so, yeah. First of all, I got to thank Tatami. When it's a local local spot for you guys. Uh, yeah, exactly. Um, I love Tatami more than anything, so I just want to thank them for supporting me. You know, they're, they're, they're literally the best company I've ever worked with. And I'm not just saying that because they pay me. It's the truth. Um, and they took care of me all throughout the pandemic, even though everything was shut, they were losing money competitions were stopped and they never they never like cut me and they never like let me go they they stuck with us and they they supported us and me and jt they're with jt too you know and uh and i'm just very very grateful for that and um because they had every reason to cut me you know what i mean there was no competitions there was nothing going on uh and they didn't they stuck with me so for me i'm with them for life you know i'll never leave them if they never leave me and uh so i want to thank them and uh and i would like to just encourage everyone to go to their website and check out their stuff because they they really do have great 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 geese great nogi stuff great uh, apparel and uh a couple of the sponsors is cbd distillery if you like cbd that's the spot and uh monkey tape my my finger finger tape guys and um yeah gnarly nutrition is my my supplement sponsor and oh and if you guys want to learn the sweep single takedown the best takedown ever yes, that sir. i so <laughs> that i was talking about it's on uh jiu-jitsu x and nice, uh, nice. I, so all my all my most recent instructionals hingertine monoplata and sweep single all three of them are on jiu-jitsu x and uh you know that's keenan's uh, yeah. website and uh, it's a really solid solid company good production value So if you guys are interested, go check that out. And uh, that's my spiel. Cool. Awesome, man. Thank you so much. Really looking forward to, to checking those DVDs as well. Yeah. My cool. pleasure, guys. Amazing, man. Thank you so much okay. again, Josh. Hey, how do you say the name of the podcast again? Julosophy. Julosophy. It's like yeah. jujitsu philosophy. Okay. There you go. <laughs> awesome, guys. It was great talking to you guys. Thank you so much. You too, cool. man. Thank you, Josh. Bye. Take care. Peace.